the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. the Cardinals have a face of the franchise next season. It's a question that I've been wondering a little bit. And Jamie, I was listening to Mike Claiborne on the morning show yesterday, and he talked a little bit about this. Here's what he had to say about the situation. You don't have a face of the team, really. And let's face it, the Cardinals, and I think baseball, will be in a serious competition with the other sports in recruiting fans. Uh, because the NBA and the NHL will be in full swing. Um, you know, you're going to see some other things unfold. So I don't think the Cardinals or any team in baseball can just sit back and say, hey, come watch us play because we're the only game in town. Come watch us play because you didn't see us last year. I think you have to have some sizzle. And I think you need to have somebody who's representative of your organization I don't think you could say, hey, come watch our kids. I don't think anybody's going to go for that one. So he, of course, is referencing, hey, if they don't bring back Yachty and Wayno, who the heck are people going to the ballpark to watch next season? You don't have Colton Wong's flashy defense. Once every five days, I guess I can listen to the argument. Well, you've got Jack Flaherty, and he's really fun to watch. Paul Goldschmidt's a really good player, but I wouldn't call him a fun player to watch. He's just a really good player. And yes, there is a difference between those two things. Jamie, does it matter going into next year? If it is 20% capacity, we'll see what that looks like. If the team is doing this full reset, does it matter, in your opinion, that the team might not have a face of the franchise going into next year? Listen, of course it matters. You either have to be an incredible team that wins a lot, and what there's some franchises over the course of time that have been called boring, but they win all the time, right? That's San Antonio okay. Spurs. San Antonio Spurs. I was just about to bring it to basketball for that one, but they're winning. So how can you really complain as a fan base? But when you're not going to be that team that dominates on a regular basis, that wins a lot of baseball games or is first place, you you smell what I'm stepping in here, right? Then you got to have somebody who is your marquee player. And I don't mean like just really good. They have to be something that you can hang your hat on. You hear what I did there, Ferrario? No, he's not awake yet. So, but Paul Goldschmidt, who is an incredible baseball player, 
He's not an exciting baseball player. I mean, I guess if you're looking as a a scout or a baseball purist and you're like, wow, he's really fun to watch because he does everything so well. Great for you. But there's less of you and more of me. Jamie, to further the comparison to the Spurs, his nickname is literally the Big Fundy. The Big Fundy. (laughs) The Big Fundamental originally was was Tim Duncan. So it's it's almost a one for one there. But back to your question, you got to have somebody with the sizzle like Mike Claiborne. So you got to have that like Yachty and Wayne. That's always people show up specifically for that. There's grandparents that bring their grandsons, granddaughters to the baseball park to watch Yachty because this guy is something to watch Wayne pitch because he's going to be a Cardinal Hall of Famer. What are you bringing your family to next year? Yeah, Jack Flaherty once every five days. Maybe Dylan Carlson, but he doesn't have a lot of sizzle to his personality. He's much like Paul Goldschmidt. He's just all business. Harrison Bader has some personality, but he doesn't have the game to back it up. Not a, not in my opinion, not that much game. You know, It's not like a Tatis Jr. where he's backing it all up at the same time. Yeah, I think they're going to struggle to market the team overall next year unless... Unless they shock the heck out of me here and go sign the big name somewhere. When well, you got rid of the king of sizzle and Colton Long, like you got rid of the king of flair. No more wristbands. Nine pieces of flair. No more armbands. I, I think, though, <laughs> you need that sizzle. You need that flair like a Yachty and a Wayne O'Bring that have been here for so long. But how do you find out if you're what you have if you don't give those guys a chance? Like, I think Dylan Carlson could have that if you give him the opportunity you think he's to got do the sizzle. I think if you give him the Dude, opportunity, I think he's an incredible baseball player, but I think he's just like Goldschmidt. Well, he's a robot. How can you have sizzle, though, when you have Yachty and Wayno in there? You know, I get you know what it, I'm get saying? It. Maybe once uh, the cat's away, the mice will like play. You've heard his interviews, though, right? I listened to an interview that he did yesterday with Sirius XM, MLB Radio. He Talking Carlson. Yes, Dylan Carlson. Yeah. Really good kid. Apparently, according to the team, everybody that's been around him, it, super, super mature for his age. Not interesting. Like, just not in terms of what he's going to give you as a personality. Harrison Bader, you're right, Jamie. Super interesting. Doesn't have the game to back it up right now. But are you looking? Carlson isn't that way. But are you looking for a Fernando Tatis Jr.? Because uh, you're yeah, not going to be nice. You're not going to find that, though. <laughs> like, you're not going to find that. If you no, look you at have to have something to market, Alex. Otherwise, come down the ballpark. Who's the face of the Cubs? Anthony Rizzo? Javi Bias. See, I would say Anthony Rizzo. And Anthony Rizzo doesn't have sizzle. He doesn't have... He's fun, though. That dude is really fun. He's fun, but he's not a Tatis Jr. I think you can have guys be that fun player. Maybe Tatis Jr. was a bad comparison because he's got so much sizzle. Maybe we just take it down a notch. Even if you don't think Chris Bryant and Rizzo are that player, though, they have one in Javi Baez. They do. You know, Javi Baez does have that personality, and he has, if you want to call it the flair, whatever you want to describe it as, he's got it. The it factor, Javi Baez has in spades. You know who else has that? Francisco Lindor. I'm not sure there's another guy on the market that has it, honestly. Like, I love George Springer. I like the idea of bringing in Michael Brantley. They're Paul Goldschmidt's. Yeah, I don't know that they bring a whole lot of this, what we're talking about right now. I don't know that there's anybody else on the market that you could bring in that brings the quote-unquote sizzle to the Cardinals this offseason. So to answer my own question, does it matter that the Cardinals don't have that going into next year? I think my answer is actually no. 
and I'm specifically talking about for next year. I think Cardinals fans, based on what we've heard over the last few days, Jamie, I think they've accepted the fact that next year's probably going to be a reset year. And I think they're okay with it so long as they're not sold a bag of goods. If you then sell them the following year that we're again going into a season in 2022 without a face of the franchise, without a drastic improvement, without going and getting a Carlos Correa or Trevor Story or Corey Seager or Nolan Arenado, whoever that player may be that they want to bring in, that's when I think it changes. I think in 2022, if you don't have this guy, that's when it becomes a real problem. But going into next year, I don't know that it's an issue yet. See, I disagree with you. I think that going into 22, I think it's just about wins at that point. If you have a team that just wins at that point, because things should be hopefully back to normal by that point, and the Cardinals will have all that money off the books from Carpenter and Fowler and so on and so on. So I think that season's really more about winning. I think this upcoming season, it's about sparking interest in your fan base again, because you just went through a baseball season where not one not one butt touched a seat in paid attendance. And we don't know what that's going to be next year. But when you do get those butts, they're allowed to come back 5, 10, 20% of capacity, 50% of capacity. You're going to want something for them to watch, not just, hey, we're going to go watch the Cardinals rebuild team. What's the minimum threshold, though, on that? Because there is one. So you say all they need is to win, right? Well, how how much do they need to win? Because they won a lot in 2019. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't interesting for Cardinals fans. Cardinals fans didn't enjoy watching that team. I know they went to the NLCS. That team was not fun to watch. No, I Nobody agree. enjoyed that experience of watching the 91-win NLCS representative St. Louis Cardinals in 2019. It wasn't fun. And so if you go into next year, the 2022 season, and it's about winning, and they win 93, 94 games, is that good enough if they do it the same way they did, for instance, in 2019 with pitching and defense and run prevention and eh, will be just good enough offensively? I think Cardinals fans are sick of that. They're sick of that track of mediocrity yeah, and they exactly. want to get off of it. They well, want somebody to watch. No, I think the interest. They want somebody who can well, that's what knock I'm saying it for 2022. No, I think next year they're so sick of these last two years of being, you know, boring, schmoring baseball at times. They want somebody to pick you out of your I, seat. I think that interest is going to be what do we have that's not Yachty and Wayno? I think that interest is what is Dylan Carlson? What is Paul DeYoung as the full time? Guy Goldschmidt. I think that's where the interest is going to be. The interest ah. isn't going to be, oh, well, we brought Yachty and Wayno back. It's the same thing. You're doing the exact same thing that you've been doing for the last five years. All I'm saying is it doesn't even have to be a big signing. Just an exciting kind of player. Oh, good. I don't Justin Turner. Out there. I don't know Justin Turner. Turner. Bring I don't the COVID. <laughs> Whatever. Bring Rona in. But what the I'm saying is... is yet to come. It will be in 2022. But right now, going into 2021, I just think that the fans need something to get excited about again. I know the wins and now the Paul Goldschmidt, the big fundy. Okay. I get it. You stole you, my voice. You haven't liked it for the last two That's years. Similar. I watched this text line two years, and everybody's like, oh, the Cardinals are boring. So don't give me just win stuff. Give me a player that's fun to watch. There's I got one of crush beers. There's not one player out there, though, that is that. Other than Springer. 6578 the Air Comfort one. Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic Pick drop up an feature. Average exciting you got player. Player. An average exciting you player. You got no money. I'm all in. Season tickets. All right. Hold on. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Let's hear from you guys. Who is that player that is out there 
that you feel like can be the face of a franchise that has that flair that would get you excited to go out to the ballpark next year that is realistically available. I'm not talking about Fernando Tatis Jr. Yes, we would all go watch him, but no, oh, the Aaron Padres Judge. aren't trading Aaron him. Judge. Aaron Judge. Mike Wait, no, he's not exciting either. Uh, you could get him, though. We'd, we'd love to see all of those players. They are not available. So I'm thinking guys that have been at least rumored to be available or players that are free agents. Are there guys out there right now that are realistically available that would get you out to the ballpark if the Cardinals simply brought in one of them? Does that guy exist? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line and the Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. We'll hear from you on that on the other side. Plus, what if it is Wayno or Yadier Molina? It's something I honestly hadn't really considered. We'll get into that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 11:18. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So we were talking about the face of the franchise idea and how the Cardinals, if they don't have Yachty or Wayno going into next year, they don't really have one. Now, Paul Goldschmidt's a tremendous player, and this is to take nothing away from who he is as a player. He's just not all that interesting to watch. He's not fun. He's not flashy. He's not exciting. And the Cardinals really do kind of lack that now if Wong, Wayno, and Yadi are all gone going into next year. So we ask the audience, Jamie, is there one guy, one guy that you can add on to this team going into next season that you think brings some of that to you? And we are getting a few texts in here on the Air Comfort Service text line. We'd love to hear from you on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app as well. Uh, So we had one person that said, I want Arenado and Charlie Blackman via price dump. Goodbye to Yachty. Bring in Arenado and Blackman. So here's the thing about Arenado. He's kind of Paul Goldschmidt. He's a really, really good player, but he does some of the same things that Goldie does. He's really good defensively at third. I mean, really good gold glove level uh, defensively at third. But he he's not he's not Colton Wong. I, I know that's a weird comparison in terms of like the style of player that he is the flair. De- defensively. Yeah, he, he doesn't have the flair. He doesn't have the seven different armbands with the six pinky rings, those sorts of the, things. The thumb ring. Exactly. Yeah. It's just a little different. And so I don't know even if Nolan Arenado does. That being said, that's where it gets to your point on the winning. There is a threshold. I don't know what it is. There's a threshold, though, where you're winning so much because your players are so good yeah. that that's really fun to watch. If you got Arenado, though, and you got Goldschmidt and you've got Dylan Carlson, all of a sudden you become interesting by default. Okay, and that's where the winning comes in. And and to your point about Arnauto, we had Matt Holiday on a long time ago who knows him well and works with him in the offseason and said this dude is just dedicated to baseball. So, yeah, he's probably one of those guys that's not the most exciting as far as what we're talking about right now. But when he's playing amazing third base and he's crushing baseballs like he owns it, and then you got Goldie doing the same, and you got up and down the lineup that you're looking a lot better, I'm excited. But if you can't get Arnauto or a guy like that, you got to provide something for me, you know, and with text line, somebody brought up Yasiel Puig. <laughs> I'm not against it. <laughs> now, it's been a little while now. I was certainly more for it at the beginning of this season, but then unfortunately the Rona got the best of him and he never did surface, but I was for that at the time. I'm willing to take a one-year flyer on a guy like that. 
I think the Arenado, you're not going for sizzle with Arenado. You're going because of the name. You're going because this guy is a stud and you expect it's the same thing that Matt Holiday was. I mean, you brought in a Matt Holiday. Matt Holiday was never a, a sizzle kind of guy, but you were going because you got an elite outfielder who was going to crush baseballs. And I think that's what an Arenado does for you, regardless of the sizzle or if he's a statue on the field. I think this is a really interesting text from the 314. He says, get Lindor, please. I've been a fan since I moved here 25 25- years ago and I feel like people get more excited to watch the cap dance than they are to watch the actual games. I went to three games in 2019 and saw a total of four runs. In my opinion, the Cardinals need more there. There's no fire. There's no battle. Accountants are not inspiring to me. I'm bored. I'm beyond bored watching this team. And it's not primarily the baseball. The Cardinals experience in particular just isn't fun right now. That's the problem. That is what the Cardinals are running into right now is they can win 93 games in 2019 and it's not good enough because the way they're winning isn't good enough for fans. There's not there's not the fun excitement. I mean, you guys were around St. Louis in the early 2000s. I obviously was not. MV3 was fun to watch. Mark McGuire was oh. fun to watch. Hell, even Whitey Ball was fun to watch. It was energy all the time. It was excitement. There was never a dull moment on the base paths. What we've watched over the last five years is not exciting. It's moving the base runners over and it's playing really good defense and being Taking fundamentally sound and getting on base at a high clip. It's faceless, nameless relievers that are coming out of the bullpen after your starter goes five and gives you a solid start, but nothing spectacular. This stuff is not fun as a fan to watch. The hard part is, Jamie, I don't think the guy that they're looking for is available this offseason unless they get ahead of the market. The only way that I think they can bring in somebody that does this that we're talking about, that gives them a face of the franchise, that gives them a little bit of swagger, that is exciting and flashy and fun and renews some of that energy that they had in the 2000s. That guy is Francisco Lindor. That guy might be Carlos Correa, who I know has his demons as well because he comes from the Astros organization. That guy might be Trevor Story. And those guys aren't free agents right now. Those guys, the way you would get them is via trade. And they already have a bloated salary. And so now, Jamie, we're getting to the point of they're probably not going to have that kind of salary. So really, we go back to next offseason is the time when that really becomes a possibility, in my opinion. Yeah, look, I go back to what you said a couple of seconds ago about the the team that was in the early 2000s. Yeah, there were some monsters on that team that were incredible baseball players, but they had personality, too. They were fun. Everybody had their own favorite player, and, and there was a reason why they had that guy as their favorite player. Right now, it's Yachty, it's Wayno. I mean, really, people, yeah, Goldschmidt, people love him. But who's out there just blowing up the online store trying to buy jerseys from a certain player? Maybe Dylan Carlson because he's the up-and-coming guy. But apart from that, guys, like, compare that to the 2000s. Those jerseys, you couldn't print enough of those things. I mean, For they, various reasons, people identified to certain guys' personalities. And they had superstars. 
Jim Edmonds is a star. Albert Pujols was a star. Scott Rowland was an unbelievable baseball player, but he's even more a little bit in the line of, while more outspoken than this player, in terms of his, his playing style itself, probably more in the Paul Goldschmidt style yeah, he of was player. so intense. Absolutely. Like, you just, he, you never knew. Every now and then, Rowland could just snap at something, and he was he was an intense guy. It was the Arenado factor. Scott Rowland was the Arenado. He wasn't it's a, a flashy guy. He didn't yeah. talk, but his defense made you, he was one of my favorite players because his defense made you come to the ballpark. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 618. You guys could have a full team of exciting players and not win bleep. That's not fun to watch We don't either. have to for 2021. We're talking about 2021 here. 2022, we're going after the big dogs. The other thing is... At least we are. The Cardinals already have the, the foundation of what should be a pretty good team. They've got that. They've got all all of the guys that are fundamentally sound, that are really good defensively, that help you with the run prevention. The things that you need to do in order to win, they've got a lot of that. They've got the bare minimum already there, ready to go. Guys like Paul Goldschmidt, and you look into the outfield, Dexter Fowler's actually a pretty good player when he's in the right role. Six hitter, seven hitter, something like that. That's a valuable player. I say it all the time. Harrison Bader is a valuable player on the right team. The problem is they're missing the upper tier, the upper echelon. They're like a basketball team in the NBA right now that doesn't have the number one star player. They were the Miami Heat before they brought in Jimmy Butler. You're missing that guy, the Uh go-to guy that can create his own shot at the end of the game. That's what the Cardinals are missing right now. And so to go get that, yeah, I would love for that guy to be flashy and fun and exciting. I think that's more in line of what they're missing. But honestly, I'm to the point, and this is kind of the point that I've been trying to make, I don't even care if that's the guy that they go get because I don't think there's a lot of them available. Just get better this year. Just get better for the here and now is all that I'm asking for at this point. Yeah, I look at I think that my point in this is not that they have to go after Francisco Lindor. I would love to see that. My point is there's got to be a four or five million dollar player out there that can even if he's just in your outfield rotation, he's someone that's exciting. When he comes to the ballpark, he's stretching a single into a double. He's doing the head first slide into third base like it's just one of those guys where you got a fan base here that is excited to go back to. Bush Stadium to make the effort to rejoin being a fan after this crazy pandemic. Otherwise, guys like the Cardinals and other teams talk about not having the attendance and how their businesses are built around attendance. If you don't give a reason or give people a reason to show up at the park, why would they? TV's on at home. I did that a lot this year. Got pretty good, you know, pretty good coverage. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line from the six one eight. I think this is a great, great way to look at it. You need players that McDonald's is going to have bobbleheads of, like Scott Rowland, Mark McGuire, Jim Edmonds. Those are the guys that we're talking about, and just kind of as an easier way to put it out there. When ESPN has their Sunday night baseball game on our station or on ESPN, the actual platform, instead of saying the RBI machine, Matt Carpenter, hopefully they can say something about your actual superstar, that that's what they're missing in the past years, in a past generation of Cardinals baseball at this point, they could talk about Roland or Edmonds or Pujols or Holiday, all of these different guys or McGuire, all of these different guys had that cachet. 
the Cardinals are missing a little bit of that, especially if Wayno and Yachty are not back next well, season. They got the salsa. That's all that matters. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm days. Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, <laughs> Craig Edwards, I think, is one of the best baseball minds out there. He's a writer over at Fangraphs.com, and he's done some great work in the past on the revenue for baseball. I want to ask him if he's buying what these owners are selling us right now, that last season they lost all of the money in biblical, big, biblical proportions last season. I'll ask him about that. Plus, is there a free agent out there that he thinks realistically makes this team into something of a contender? We'll talk to Craig Edwards about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Excited to go out to the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line. Baseball writer over at Fangraphs, Craig Edwards, joining the show here on 101 ESPN. Craig, we always appreciate the time, my man. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, good. I mean, uh, had a baby at the beginning of October, so I'm just getting the back of, getting back in the swing of things right now. I would imagine you are busy as I'll be at this point. Are you getting at least a little bit of sleep? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're doing as good as we can, but uh, you know we've got a toddler and uh, a newborn. So uh, the the right now I I close the door, I'm back in the office, and I've got a few minutes of silence. I think right now. Fantastic. Well, all the best to you and her, and I hope everything's going smoothly there. So let's start with the 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 free agent market right now, Craig, because technically teams are available to sign free agents right now. I think the biggest rumor that we have heard thus far is that there's like a couple of guys that have been called by a couple of teams. How bad do you expect the market to be? How long do you expect it to be developing this offseason? Uh, it's it's going to be bad. It's going to be long. I think, uh, you know, one thing that, that a lot of teams are going to do is wait for the non-tender deadline, which isn't for another month, and see what's available there, compare it to the guys who are already free agents. And, you know, from a player perspective, you know, you're going to wait it out for a while, too, because, uh, you know, if teams are saying they're not going to spend this offseason, it's not like you're going to be getting any good offers uh, over the next month that are going to compel you to sign. And so it's, it's going to be slow. Um, it's going to be pretty long, and we're going to see teams looking to trade players on maybe unwanted contracts and and pay down some pay down some deals if they can and and that might be a little bit more enticing for for some teams than, than free agency and you know honestly you know that when you look compare the uh, free agent class to what it was a year ago it's it's just not not quite as good there's a lot of interesting guys out there especially uh in the starting pitching in the middle infield but uh there, there's not as many guys where you're just gonna you know back up the back up the money truck for them yeah, Craig, do you think it's strategic by Major League Baseball to have not declared whether the National League will have a DH or not for next year? Because I'm looking at it, there's probably some guys that are available that teams would sign and maybe give a few bucks to as a DH, but, you know, they're not sure, so it's like it stretches out and elongates this period of waiting time so that maybe the players take less? Yeah, I mean, you, when you look at all the negotiations that happened leading up to, to this season, uh, the designated hitter was one of those things. And in the end, they decided, uh, you know, for, for safety purposes with, with all the pitching that uh, that it would be better to have a designated hitter for both leagues as well as, you know, the competition aspect in terms of the way they had to balance the schedule. And, you know, it's something that, that has to be negotiated. The owners don't want to give away the designated hitter for, for free, but at the same time, uh, the players, you know, for the most part, that's not a huge chip for 
them. So it's not something that they're going to going to give up uh, a ton for. Uh, but I, I do think that yeah, it's going to impact some teams in in the National League in terms of the types of players that they go after. I mean, you look at a guy like Nelson Cruz, great hitter, but uh, you know if if he can't go to the the National League, that's going to impact the number of teams that, that can go after him. Craig, I, I think you do really good work, and I've seen it in the past from you. I don't remember the most recent time that you've done it. Uh, talking about the revenues for baseball, and of course, if we're talking about free agency, that's the backdrop to it all. Owners are claiming that they uh, lost $3 billion last year by playing. And I'm not talking like they had $3 billion drop in revenue. They're actually claiming that they lost $3 billion by playing last year. Do you buy what they are claiming right now? Well, you know, they could open their books and, and show us that they lost $3 billion <laughs> rather than just claiming that they did. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that uh, you look and, you know, yeah, they, they did lose a, a lot of revenues, but, you know, you wonder exactly where those losses are at. You know, are they just, you know, paying down debt, which essentially functions as, you know, buying more equity into their own team? Or, uh, you know, are there are there more deeper losses than that? I think that, you know, you can claim a bunch of losses, but in the end, if you look at Major League Baseball as a sport and as owners, you know, they're pretty well positioned to uh, to withstand losses like that, especially given, you know, profits that, that have maybe been double that over the previous uh, five years. And, you know, you, you look at $3 billion, that's $100 million a team, that's that's not great. But, you know, if you wanted to, you know, push that money down the line, say, you know, if you were talking about a, a house mortgage or something like that, and you say, well, if I can get a 3% loan for 30 years, an MLB owner could say, well, that $100 million loss just became $5 million every single year for the next 30 years, and that's that's just a drop in the bucket for them. Now, Craig, I, I spent a number of years in the NHL, and I played with a non-salary cap era and then into a salary cap era, and we always pushed back that we didn't want a salary cap, didn't want a salary cap. After experiencing it and kind of going through it and looking at it from the outside in, the salary cap actually benefits the players because the owners are forced, at least in some part, to open up the books and disclose what's going on. Do you think we'll see a push for a salary cap where the players are actually okay with it going into the next CBA? I doubt it. I think that there's just such a high level of distrust between the Players Association and the owners. And but wouldn't that force the owners to be more honest, though? It might, or it might uh, cause them to hide more revenues behind uh, ownership. Uh, you know, like in t- like you know, for example, the the TV uh, deals that they get locally. Um, you know, the there's set fees, and then there's you know a twenty percent ownership stake, and they're going to claim that the ownership stake is separate from uh, the the money that they're actually getting paid by the network. And so, if you're trying to sort of hide. Uh, those revenues from the players, uh, you're never going to reach uh, a deal in terms of what 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 you think is fair in terms of a, a percentage uh, of revenue, which is which is what what they're going for. Or in a salary cap situation, you'd be going for you say, okay, we get 50% of all revenue. Well, then the discussion is, well, what's revenue? If you have a concert in the stadium, is that revenue? If you get money from the TV network separately from your your deal, is that revenue and because of the way these things are structured and because so much of MLB revenue 
is is local in terms of attendance and in terms of TV deals, it's a lot difficult. It's a lot more difficult to to tie that number down um, when you compare to say the NFL, where so much of that money is just ticket sales and just the national TV deals. We're talking with Craig Edwards. He's a baseball writer over at Fangraphs. Give him a follow on Twitter as well. He's at Craig J Edwards. All right, Craig. For our fans here in St. Louis, they're looking at the free agent class and they're saying there's a lot of guys out there that make a lot of sense for this team, in particular George Springer, Michael Brantley. But then you hear John Mozeliak come out. We talked with Bill DeWitt the third last week, and it certainly doesn't sound like they're going to be adding a whole heck of a lot of payroll this offseason. If the Cardinals end up not adding to the payroll in any significant way, are there free agents out there that you think make sense that would make them uh, markedly better going into next year? Um, you know, Adam, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina might help. Um, but in addition, in addition to those guys, I think that where where the the intrigue is is that you know back of the rotation starters with upside. Um, you know, Marcus Stroman is is sort of near the top of that list. But then you got have guys like James Paxton who didn't get a qualifying offer, Jose Quintana who's had some really good years, guys like Robbie Ray, Chris Archer, uh, Taiwan Walker, guys who um, aren't necessarily going to get. Uh, a massive guarantee, but you can slide into the rotation and, and give give the Cardinals a, a little bit more depth. I, I don't know that the same situation is true on the position player side, which is you know obviously where the Cardinals could probably use a little bit more help. So you might end up going uh, just you know adding to to what your strength is, which is the the starting pitching and and presumably the the defense, which is what's carried them over the over the last few seasons. I mean you there are are guys out there like Jock Peterson who could fall um, and he would be a, a great platoon bat. Uh, Tommy Lastella is another guy who, you know, hits lefty, can play the infield and uh, he could, he could potentially be a fit there. And, you know, most of these guys aren't going to, to, to cost a ton of money. I think the issue is, are you willing to wait it out and then take the guy that falls to you as opposed to maybe the guy that you prefer to have? All right, Craig, you bring up uh, the Cardinals' identity, right? You said defense and pitching. Well, they've already let Colton Wong go. And now Yadier Molina is, well, he's technically a free agent. Adam Wainwright is technically a free agent. What lies ahead here specifically for, we'll circle back to Waino and Yadi. what are the percentages you think that they sign elsewhere, and what teams do you think would benefit by signing those players? You know, I think uh, you, you look at the, the teams that are out there. Obviously, we've heard about Atlanta. You've heard about the Angels and Anaheim. Those are teams, you know, every team could use a starting pitcher like Wainwright somewhere in the rotation. So that's an easy fit. And then you look at teams that maybe don't have their catcher situation solidified completely where you could, you know, you could say to Yachty, look, we can give you, you know, 80, 100 starts. Uh, but, you know, I don't think anybody out there is going to give him the 140, 150 starts that the Cardinals have been giving him in the past but i think you know those are those are two teams i think you're going to hear probably about the white Sox now that, that la Russa is uh in chicago obviously there's there's a tie there though um the white Sox simply they don't have as many starts to give out at, at catcher with gasmany grandal signed to, to a long-term deal 
if, Craig, the Cardinals told you, hey, Craig, we, we are coming to you. You're going to be an analyst for us for a moment. And we are asking Craig Edwards of the realistic candidates out there. Who would you want to see the St. Louis Cardinals trade for? Who do you think would be a great fit that is out there, at least tangentially uh, available right now? Who would you give in return? What would be your answer to that question? Who you think the Cardinals should go out there and acquire via trade if they were willing to add a little bit more payroll than maybe we are all expecting at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think that at this time, you might see uh, the the market for Nolan Arenado sort of fall into their laps a bit. You know, Arenado's got the opt-out, but that this stage in the game it doesn't look like he will and so maybe Colorado's going to pay down some of that salary and maybe this is an opportunity for you know we talk about uh the teams that that do well over the course of you know the past 10 20 years they they're the teams that zig when everybody else is zagging and uh right now what what teams aren't doing is taking on salary, taking on money. And maybe in a long-term situation, uh, the Cardinals might be more willing to to do something like that with a franchise player like Nolan Arenado, as opposed to, you know, bringing in a, 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 you know, a, a, more temporary or, or more veteran guy who, who somebody's just just looking to move. Craig, we always appreciate the time, man. People can find your work over on Fangraphs. They can give you a follow on Twitter as well at Craig J Edwards. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We'll be reading and we'll be uh, listening to you as we go forward here. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. That's Craig Edwards joining us here on 101 ESPN. I think that thing he said there at the end is maybe what interests me the most. I don't know who's going to do it. I don't think it's going to be the Cardinals. Uh, no. there, there's been some reports in recent days. I can't believe that I'm saying this, but the Royals are the team that's hiring up a bunch of these other scouts from other teams that have been let go. And so they're paying, and it's it's not like a significant amount of money, you would imagine. It's probably six figures here or there, where which sounds like a lot to all of us, but for these baseball teams is nothing. And they're trying to find a market inefficiency and really good scouts, really good baseball minds that have now become available for no other reason than teams having to let them go to have a little bit more money to use. There's going to be a baseball team that does the same thing with players. And I don't know who it's going to be, and I don't think it's going to be the Cardinals. But somebody out there is going to see a market inefficiency in going out there, and Jamie, this sounds crazy, getting more good players. Like That's going to be a market that's inefficiency play, this offseason. That's the play. And I'm looking at the Mets. To make some noise. I really am. They got a brand new owner who obviously wasn't afraid to buy a team during a pandemic. And I don't believe you got a bargain on it based on the price tag. I think you paid premium for it. But you do that. You got some money, man. You're going to spend. And what an opportune time to, like Craig just said, zig when everybody else is zagging. Go make some trades. Pick up a top-end guy. Go sign some of the best free agents out there. Make a splash. Two years from now, you're still winning baseball games, or three years from now, you're winning a World Series. Who knows? While everybody else dumped everything off, you're scooping it up, and you might reap the benefits. You know what they should definitely try to do, and I don't think he'll listen to it, but I would at least approach Jack Flaherty this offseason and say, hey, again, approach him, see if he's he's even interested in doing it. We'd love to do an extension with you right now. We, we'd love to get you signed right There's now no to a long-term extension and see if he would even listen to that. I don't think he would, You'd Jamie. have to bring something really appealing to him. You'd almost have to be conceding some money that you'd maybe don't think he should get, but you're willing to do it because you want to lock him in, especially up front. 
because the arbitration process is going to be different this year, I think, than it has ever been before. And so if he's going to get a million, two million dollars instead of maybe three or four that he would typically get now, maybe you offer him six million this year and then bump that up to 10 million next year. And normally he'd get 15 million in year three. Maybe you give him 20 in year three and you keep going on forward. Price tag's getting way up there, BK. That's that's how it works with these guys, man. If you're as good as Jack Flaherty is, it gets expensive quick. And it's going to get pretty expensive pretty quickly for him. But I wonder if they consider doing that. And guys like Nolan Arenado, especially if the Rockies are willing to pay down some of that contract on the front end, maybe that is something that they would consider. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. I think they're going to try and hopefully uh, play the arbitration game with Flaherty, try to keep that cost down. And Arenado, yeah, I just think that that's a... So they're just not going to listen to any of this. They're just going to move forward and power through this. That's that's my prediction. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get some questions. We'll give you some answers coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Comfort service text line for questions and answers. Here's one from the 314. Guys, is it too early to be putting up your Christmas Christmas tree right now? Yes, absolutely. You are borderline psychopath if you're putting up your Christmas decorations right now. I'm all listen, I love me some Christmas lights, and I'll show you guys will see when it comes time. I got this thing lit up like Clark Griswold, okay? But I do it like the day after Thanksgiving. I give it some runway, you know, but not too much. If you're doing that now, I don't know. Questionable. You're not borderline psychopath. You are psychopath (laughs) doing that. That was Alex who said that. I don't even allow, which sounds terrible to say because my wife still does whatever she wants, but I tell her I will not watch Christmas movies until the day after Thanksgiving. Nothing Christmas. No music. Nothing. Decorations. Yeah. I won't do any of it. I like one of the networks has like, what, 30 days of Christmas or it's something like that. Usually ABC, ABC or, or Hallmark what? does them yeah, straight through. those things. She's attached to Hallmark, but yeah. Congrats, Not until after buddy. Thanksgiving. Congrats on the Hallmark viewing. Yeah. Good work. What does that mean? Do you guys like Hallmark movies? No, God, no. <laughs> I was no, just saying. She watches that's, them. They're very edgy. Yeah, that's that's what they are. It's edgy. I saw this news story the other day kind of related to this. Orlando, they have a radio station that is already starting this week playing nonstop Christmas music. What are we doing? It's the election today. It's a competition for radio stations. Like, who's going to put it out first to get all of the listeners? There's, like, seven and a half weeks until Christmas. Yeah, but are you turning that on? Like, there's a station here in town. I forget which one or whatever. Every town has a station. Well, they destroy us in the ratings. Yeah, they do. I know. Missouri loves Christmas. It's a holiday book, right? Anyways. They play the and I enjoy that at that time. Right now, dude, if I hear a Christmas song come on, I'm like, this is not happening right now. The problem is you get sick of Christmas by the time you get to Christmas season. And well, that's my biggest thing. Of well, of course not. But look, like the Christmas music, I turn it off by the time you get to December. Yeah. If you start listening November 1st. Yeah, I don't need any of this in my life. Somebody on the text line does make a good point. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, it's 2020. Who cares? If you want to put up your Christmas lights, do I'm whatever. I'm not throwing in the towel on 2020. I heard. Still 
still some runway left. I heard Mason say it this there's morning. No I'm trying, man. I'm trying. <laughs> I heard Mason say it on WIL this morning. He's putting it up because he's trying to get the 2021 as fast as possible, and it makes a lot of sense. Psychologically, I could see that. It, it, it doesn't make him the time move any faster, no, though. It no, does, but at least you can pretend. Yeah, no. I, I was at Home Depot the other day, oh, and yeah. they literally had Halloween. It was the other day. It was before Halloween. Halloween decorations here, and then right behind it, like just waiting to be pushed yeah. up was all the Christmas yeah, decorations. Christmas music playing, too. And we yeah. were there the other day, and I told Katie, I said, we need to leave this aisle because I'm getting angry. So you know what I did? I broke the Christmas, Christmas tree. Oh, of <laughs> thought you Kara, broke it. Kara, in like February, bought a ton of Christmas <laughs> and uh, Halloween decorations for oh us God. for the house that we have not yet purchased to just put in the basement. Is Keith going to let you put those up? I, let's be honest. Yeah, no. Let's be honest. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 980. Questions and answers. All right, fellas. I would like you to put in for your John Mosellock uh, bow tie on. Yachty and Wayno are gone, and you have to make no free agency pickups this offseason. Make your pitch to Cardinals fans why they should still come out and spend their hard-earned money to watch this baseball team. Jamie, Yachty, Wayno are gone. You did not make any upgrades. You're John Mosellock. What's your pitch? There's no other team to watch. No, I'm just kidding. Well, that's uh, cute. <laughs> it is, isn't it, Mo? No, my pitch would be this. We're building for the future. Come out and see Dylan Carlson. Come out and see Tommy Edmond. Come out and see, like, all your – Paul Goldschmidt, our new captain of the team. Whatever you want to do, you got to market it that way that – 2021 is going to be about picking up speed into 2022 and beyond, and I think the best way to do that is to market Jack Flaherty, market Dylan Carlson, whoever they have as a catcher at that time. If it's Andrew Kisner, you start talking about him, but then you start talking about the catcher and waiting that is super exciting in the minors. You talk about Nolan Gorman, and if I'm John Mosellock, I have weekly updates, like big-time updates of how our prospects are doing down the minors so that everybody starts to get excited about the future. That's my pitch. Um, not great. It's my pitch. No, I, I think I, I, it, you go with the youth, yes, but I think you also pinpoint your area of expertise, and it's pitching. You highlight the fact that, look, yes, we were hit with injuries with Dakota Hudson, and Wayno's not back, but we still have an elite pitcher in Jack Flaherty who could make a push for a Cy Young. We still Miles Michaelis, who was in the Cy Young candidacy, and look at all of these young pitchers. Alex Reyes is trending in the right direction. We have a Zach Thompson, a Matthew Libator. We have all of these pitching prospects that the rest of baseball wishes they had. This is our area of strength. We're going to continue to build off of it. And by the time we hit 2022, when we can go out there and make a move to bring in an elite bat, our pitching is going to be one of the best in the National League. Yeah, I think it's pretty much on that line of thinking. That's kind of what I would go as well. Come watch Jack Flaherty lead one of the best pitching staffs in all of baseball. Come in, come get in on the ground floor of Dylan Carlson's all-star career. And come watch Paul DeYoung take the next staff a step in his career. By the way, we've still got Paul Goldschmidt, one of the best hitters in all of baseball. And we're going to give you an opportunity this year to see some of the young guys. You're going to see Matthew Libertor at some point this year. Andrew Kisner is going to get his chance. Come up in September, we're going to be able to see Yvonne Herrera, our next catching prospect as well. You're going to see all these guys. You're going to see all the young guys. And we are going to evaluate this roster this year to really make our championship push in 2022. But these guys, this is going to be the team that you're getting in on the ground floor up. That would be my pitch if I was John Mosella. And bobbleheads every other night. <laughs>
With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Yadier Molina is not afraid, not afraid at all to play the leverage game. We'll give you the latest example of that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. So free agency in baseball is technically open. Now, nobody's signing anybody because you know baseball. I was like, do the owners and players know it yet, though? The players definitely are aware. They, I would imagine they know they're currently unemployed. Ugh. The owners, I'm not Can sure anybody's woken them up yet. The biggest free agency, quote-unquote, updates that we're hearing is, hey, Team X is, you know, has, they've, they've called on player Y. Well, yeah, I would hope so. Free agency has officially opened. If they haven't called, well, then something has gone terribly wrong. One of the players here in St. Louis, though, he's working his leverage, Jamie. He knows exactly how sought after he is, and he's going to make sure that everybody, including the Cardinals ownership group and the front office, they know about it as well. Here's John Morosi on Twitter yesterday updating the latest with Yadier Molina. Yadier Molina's agent, Melvin Roman, telling me on Monday that three teams besides the Cardinals have shown interest in the future Hall of Fame catcher. I'll mention one team that I see as a very intriguing fit. That was what was coming up on uh, MLB Network Radio. He was teasing to that. I didn't see the segment, so I don't know who he ended up actually saying. I can't pay that off. I don't know who he said would be an intriguing fit. Boy, I just had the deer in the headlights look like, oh, my God, did I just cut the audio in the middle of it? Like, what just happened? Okay, no. I bit the hook. Now I can't let it go. I don't know what the answer is to that question. However, I do know that the important part there is three teams – According to Yadier Molina's agent, mm, must be true, are interested in Yadier Molina. Jamie, you played in the NHL. You played the agent game. You have seen how this stuff works with free agency. When you hear that from a national reporter who has clearly talked with that agent about his player his re- that he represents having multiple teams already interested in him, when I haven't heard this about a whole lot of players yet, what immediately comes to mind for you? Well, one, it's definitely true. I'll tell you that much because the agents don't want to ruin their reputation. Now, what level of interest is it? That's going to stay in the gray area. We'll never know until somebody signs Yachty what the level of interest was. And to your point earlier, yeah, all these GMs who need a catcher or that one leader, one catcher away from a championship team, they should all be kicking the tires and calling Yachty's agent. I'm surprised he didn't say there were six or seven teams (laughs) because you know what? Try to fact check that. Because it's possible. So, yeah, I think that what Yachty's agent says there is probably 100% true. Now, again, what was the level of interest? Probably some phone calls going, is Yachty actually serious about leaving St. Louis? If he is, then what is your price? What is your expectations? Blah, blah, blah. If he's not serious and the agent says, well, look, you know, he's going to go back to the Cardinals. If I hear that as an opposing team where no matter what I offer, he's going to go back to the Cardinals and tell them I'm really not all that interested because if I'm looking to get a bargain on a great guy like Yachty and get this deal, I want to get it done now. It makes me think he's playing the leverage game. Because it's other, all he's got, right? 
Sure. And, and I don't blame. I'm not knocking him for this at all. I mean, Yadier, I would imagine that Adam Wainwright is doing the same thing. Otherwise, how did the information leak that the Braves are interested in him? There's only two parties that could give that information. It's either the Braves saying that and it does them no real help to have that information out there. Or it's Adam Wainwright's side that's putting that out there. And it does help him. And let that me that tell information you, is out there. Sorry, let me tell you something about the agents. This is where the agents years and years and years of developing friendships with media people. Okay, they slide them info from time to time. They have nothing to do with the player they're talking about now, but from past experiences, slide them info about signings, trades, this, that, the other. And then what happens now when Wayno's available, Yachty's available, the agents call media outlets and go, hey, well, I need you to put the little bit of a buzz out there right now. And here's what it is. Sources claiming and boom, there you have it. And it's smart. It develops a market, it whether it's out there or not. Other teams are like, wow, th- three teams have already called on Yachty. The owner calls down to the GM because the owner's got nothing better to do right now. Probably uh, the owner calling down to the GM. Hey. Hey, do we, do we check in on Yachty? If he's interested in leaving St. Louis, have we checked in yet? Because <laughs> I'm seeing reports that multiple teams have checked in. I just wanted to make sure that we were at least one of them. It, it's developing that market out there for him. And so it's smart on the agent's part to do this. It also tells me he's at least seriously considering leaving St. Louis. Or he's trying to put the heat back on the Cardinals, right? One of those two. So if sure. I'm John Mosellock. I have an agreement with the agent that, look, we love Yachty. Yachty loves St. Louis. I'm asking you to please bring to me the actual contract he gets offered, and we will either match it or tell you that we give you our blessing moving forward to go to you know Team X, Y, or Z. And because of the relationship, because Yachty truly, truly wants St. Louis to want him. This is the Alex Petrangelo situation. He wants the team to want him. And if they go back to the Cardinals and John Mosellock and say, I got $11 million to go to Team X, John Mosellock can say, hey, all the best, Yachty. Thank you for everything you've done. And then Yachty's, you know what? It's a clean slate. Now he's actually happy to move on because he knows that the Cardinals didn't want him then. We've said a million times, and we'll say it a million times more, that he's a very proud individual. Yachty or Molina is. And what we're going to see come true once again this offseason is just how proud he is he's going to want to get everything he's worth if there's an offer out there that is 12 million dollars for one year he's going to want the cardinals to match that i would imagine Mm -hmm. and i don't blame him for that whatsoever but him developing this market him going out there and trying to get everything that he's worth it does make things a little bit more difficult for the cardinals and so jamie when we were listening yesterday to mark saxon we had him on and he was talking to us about this yadier molina adam wainwright situation he said this and it made it kind of had some antennas go up for me talking about this based on what the team is saying about you know the need to cut payroll based on their performance not only last year but the last few years I don't see a lot of scenarios where they could bring both back I really don't you know I think together they're going to probably in terms of salary next year make somewhere in the 20 million range combined I've heard that Yachty's looking for 10 million I really don't see both coming back to St. Louis I could see them prioritizing one, and it might depend on how their relative market goes. If they only get to choose one, Jamie, if the Cardinals are looking at this and they're saying we can have one of the two, we can either bring back Yadier Molina or Adam Wainwright because for whatever reason, maybe it's a payroll thing. Maybe it's a we think we can upgrade elsewhere if we only bring back one of those guys. If you can only have one of the two, 
Which one are you bringing back next year? Yesterday, I believe I leaned towards Wayno in my first take on this and actually thought about it more throughout the day and again this morning. If that's the case, I'm bringing back Yachty. And here's the reason why is Yachty can help this pitching staff over a hump, which is going to be 2021. They're missing Michaelis, Dakota Hudson. They're going to have somebody new that steps up because Wayne will not, no longer be here. You're going to need that, that steady guy behind the plate that is a manager on the field, basically. And it also, if you give him the two-year deal, that kind of bridges the gap between him and the young kid. What's Herrera. Herrera coming up, right? And maybe even next season, 2022, Herrera's up with the big club, and he's learning day to day to day what Yachty does, how he does. He's becoming a, a pro baseball player at that point, a true major leaguer. So to me, it makes way more sense to keep Yachty around for his leadership and what bridges that gap to Herrera. Well, and I think it makes the most sense because Wayno has an effect on the pitchers, but Yachty has effect on everybody. And we opened up talking about sizzle. Yachty has the most sizzle of anybody on your roster. He helps he the does. he helps he the batting order. To him. I, <laughs> he helps the batting too. order. Mm-hmm. He helps the pitching staff. He helps bridge that gap in spring training for some of these younger guys and I sent you guys the article last night Jesse Sanchez put a piece out on MLB pipeline which was phenomenal talking about how Yvonne Herrera imitates his game off of Yachty imagine having two more years of that with your top catching prospect and then having some leverage with an Andrew Kisner to possibly try and find that big bat that you need I think it makes all the sense in the world to bring back Yachty and let Wayne walk I hate saying that. I do. I would love for them to bring back both. I think that that's if I had my my druthers and I could have both of them back, I would go that route 100% of the time. If they have to choose one, I think Yachty's the clear cut answer. He's a guy that's going to start 120 to 140 games for you next year, barring some sort of injury. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're having a really great year from Wayno, it's like 30 starts for him. I mean, just by the numbers, the value that Yachty's going to bring to your roster next year is higher. I also think that the Cardinals have some real hesitancy with starting Andrew Kisner every day. I don't think that that's something that they feel comfortable with. Otherwise, we would have seen more of him this year. And I don't know if it's the front office or the managerial decisions that are going that route, but it's very clear that they went with Wheaties with a broken foot. Broken foot. That's over over Andrew Kisner starting this season. Are they going to switch that up next year, or are they going to they're going to go out and sign another veteran catcher that's not named Yadier Molina if they don't bring him back, and then start him over Andrew Kisner next year? I just don't trust that decision making there. So I would rather bring back Yadi. I trust some of these young starters that they have. They've touted this depth that they have in the rotation for years. Let's see it. Let's see it come to fruition once again. We saw a lot of it this year. Let's see more of it next year. Ponce, Gomber, let's not get into a situation with the rotation that we're in right now with the outfield where they don't have enough answers. They don't have enough playing time to go around to get the answers. Let's get them now. Let's find out this uh, this upcoming year so that way next year, if they need to go get another starter, a big-time starter that can give them 200 innings, they can go do that next offseason. Let's find out if we need those answers, though, right now. I think Yadier Molina is the clear-cut guy to bring back. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We're going to play a game of bet it or forget it coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. (laughs) 
with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you've got to bet it or forget it, you would like to throw into the mix. Let's start with this one. Go into the football field, guys. Bet it or forget it, the Denver Broncos will make the playoffs this year. What? <laughs> what the heck have you been drinking today? Three and four on the season. Just had a huge comeback victory against the Chargers. And here's their upcoming schedule, Jamie. They've got the Falcons next week. Mm-hmm. You love the Falcons, I know. I do. So that could maybe get them to four and four. Then they've got the Raiders. Maybe you're at five and four. They've still got games against the Panthers, the Bills, Chargers, and Raiders down the stretch as well. Better to forget it, the Broncos are going to make the playoffs this year. Oh, I forget that. Are you kidding me? I know Drew Locke had like one play the other night that saved them, but overall, they, they're not going to be consistent enough. And you bring up that schedule, that schedule actually is harder than it appears, especially the Falcons are a wild card right now. You you either get their A game or their D game, and you never know. So that one I'm not sold on. Then the Raiders, that's a tough game. The Dolphins, a tough game. The Saints, a tough game. Dude, where are they going to win these games? Yeah, I'm, Even the Chargers. I'm forgetting yeah. it on this one. You went through that schedule, and I think maybe two wins the rest of the way. Maybe two wins the rest of the way. See, I've heard some hype for the Broncos this week, and I'm with you guys. Well, that's what are you listening to? What do you mean? What do you listen to? Who's, I listen who to is hyping the Broncos? I listen to radio. I mean, the Broncos are now three and four, and they Drew just Locks beat the Chargers. Podcast. <laughs> It's his dad's, actually. Um, There's reason to believe that they're at least in the mix, right? Because we talked about the Dolphins the other day. They're kind of one of those hot teams, right? Well, they're four and three on the season. Um, You look at a team like the Raiders, four and three on the season. The Broncos are one game back of all of these teams. They're not that far out of it. So if we're talking about them, the Dolphins and the Raiders as a playoff contender, I think you've at least got to look at the Broncos being there as well. I just don't see it. I think the Chargers were the team that if they were able to beat the Broncos this past weekend, maybe then I'm talking about the Chargers as a realistic playoff contender. But the way things actually went, I can't see the Broncos actually getting into contention. And I think it put the Chargers too far back Mm -hmm. to be able to get back into this mix. Now, I've heard something about expanding. Are they talking about that? They're talking. Or was I just drinking again? It could be both. We'll get more into that here in just a little bit. All right. But. Thank you. Alex. They're talking about potentially having eight teams in the playoffs now instead of seven per conference. Well, that'll change my better to forget it. Then. <laughs> yeah, that more. would suddenly make the Broncos, the Raiders, and the Dolphins all legitimate, viable contenders. Heck, the Chargers the are knocking at the door. A couple that. more teams, you get the Jets in. Oh boy. Well, easy there. Oof. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. <laughs> bet it or forget it. Patrick Mahomes is actually the guy that you want to bet on right now as the MVP for the 2020 season. Okay, I'm going to forget it. And it's not. Be- and hear me out. It's only because nobody's talking about it. And we brought this up in the break. And I heard on uh, Get Up this morning on ESPN. He's got 20 touchdowns and one interception, and he's dominating on the field, yet nobody's talking about it. It's like it's like the expected performance of Patrick Mahomes. So it's not MVP caliber. It's just, oh, it's just Patrick Mahomes, right? It's kind of like the Patriots for a while. Even though they're average at times, or Bill Belichick takes a team to go 12-2, and two, or 12-4, and four, rather, and he's not even in coach of the year consideration because that's just supposed to happen. I think people are taking it for granted how good Patrick Mahomes is, and I do you also think that Russell Wilson, who's never won the MVP, I don't think, has he? 
Has he ever no, been the MVP? No. Never, never received a vote. I think that's the sexy one this year. I think that's the one that people like Russell Wilson. This is his time, but I disagree. I think Patrick Mahomes is to date and will be the MVP. Should be the MVP. This one's so hard for me because with the MVP votes, like the the player who is the most valuable player, and Mahomes is incredible, but you got all of these other weapons. Put Jimmy there. Garoppolo under center. See what happens. Well, he can't play anymore right now. Yeah, things, okay, things who are else? broken. Put, take no, somebody else. Take what, Derek Carr. What I'm saying is when you look at Tyree Kill and Kelsey and Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and you got all of these weapons, I'm not saying it's the right move, but when you look at Russell Wilson, I get that he has... You want to talk about weapons? Yeah, but I don't know. If, <laughs> this is the first year that people are really talking about DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf's a stud, though. This is the first he year that they're doing surprise, it. Though nobody has been talking about this guy. I mean, he was Everyone's, a rookie last year and was really good right of me immediately. We're talking. If you're going to put Clyde Edwards-Alaire in that route of saying that's a plus for Patrick Mahomes, I don't know how you couldn't do the same yeah, thing. But everyone for knows Tyree Kill and everyone knows the names Devontae Adams, and I think DK Metcalf's that new flavor right now on the team. Plus, when you look at and again, I'm not. Saying because I think Mahomes is the MVP, but no, I'm hearing that you I hate know, him. Of course you are, but Russell Wilson has been overcoming terrible defense every game. Teams is his defense is allowing 45 points. He's going up and putting 49 points up. So okay, I'll give you I, that I, I see where That's they're going argument. with it. For what it's worth, I actually do agree with you. That's, I think Russell Wilson. That's not what you said in the office. <laughs> I think Russell Wilson is the MVP thus far. He's got a real shot to break the record of most touchdown passes in a season, which is. 55, I believe, by Peyton Manning uh, in 2013. It's a lot of touchdowns. Can we get one of those graphics then on the seesaw of like the numbers? Oh my God. Can we, can we just never do that again on, <laughs> yes, on Monday? No, Night I love it. Just light a fire it. under BK right now. I'm off for the old guys. Russell Wilson has 26 touchdowns on the season already. He's been unbelievable this year. And DK Metcalf is a big part of that. Tyler Lockett's a big part of that, no doubt about it. He does have a defense that he has to overcome. But the, the weapons is not the thing that's yeah, going to determine sick of this for the me. weapons thing, okay? Because you could have an incredible orchestra, but if you don't have the conductor who knows how to run it all, it could just be a mess. Well, remember the Seahawks do not have a running game too. Their running game is Russell Wilson with Chris Carson who's been hurt all season. Yeah. Uh, and Pete Carroll's a running head coach. Sure. He does run. He's in good shape. <laughs> Choose gum while he runs too, the which isn't a good shoes. thing. I, I think their running game's a little better than you're giving it credit for, especially when Carson's out there. But the, I just, I think Russell Wilson's been too good not to give him the MVP so far this year. I, I, I am with you on that, Ferrario. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, guys. The favorite for rookie of the year this year should actually be Justin Herbert, not Joe Burrow. Wow, that's a tough one because they both got fed poo-poo sandwiches for teams to play on. The old crap sandwich. You're going to be our starting quarterback, but here's what you got to deal with. Um, uh, I'm going to I'm going to forget it. And it's only because I think Burrow is doing more damage with his team. Uh, but man, that's a tough one. I love both of these guys. I think both of them have been phenomenal since taking the field. So I don't, I don't know. So pass. to give you some of the numbers, he's passed. Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow on the year. I could do that. My name's on the show. Joe Burrow has started eight <laughs> games, so there's a little bit difference here. Uh, Justin Herbert has started six, so keep that in yeah, mind as I give you these you numbers. Eight, Herbert. Joe Burrow is at 2,200 yards passing, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions, and on the ground, he's added 130 yards and three touchdowns as well. So he has a total of 14 touchdowns, five interceptions on the year. Justin Herbert in six games 
1,800 passing yards, 15 touchdowns through the air, five interceptions. He's added two more touchdowns on the ground. So he has 17 total touchdowns, five interceptions. Joe Burrow in two more games has four fewer touchdowns. I'm going to bet it. I think everyone. Well, yeah, because he gave you no. that info. Where was that info when you asked me? <laughs> Jerk. Joe Burrow was expected to be good, right? He was picked first overall. Nobody was even planning on seeing Justin Herbert this year. It was just because his dad decided to injure Tyron yeah. Taylor that he even got into a game. I'm going to bet it on this one. This is going to be the most intriguing race when it comes to awards. Also, I said Joe Burrow there and nobody gave me credit. I, I'm impressed. He's finally reached that level. You, you remember what his name is. You know, I discovered what the problem was last night. It's because Jamie's last name ends with an S. You ruin it for oh. me on everyone. Oh, change your name to River. Okay. I'm Done. betting this. I'm absolutely betting this. Justin Herbert has been better so far this year than Joe, Joe Burrow. I love both wow. of these guys. No respect I, for Joe. I'm with you on this, Jamie. I love no both of Joe. them. But Justin Herbert's just by the numbers, by the eye test, he's been better. He's been more efficient. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch yeah. in the league right now. Certainly the biggest surprise. It's it's amazing. He's super athletic. He's got a cannon of an arm. He's more accurate than I thought he was going to be. I mean, he's throwing to guys that I, I've never heard of at times. He's making guys that are just random Joe Schmoes look really good. Now, he also has some really good players like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams that he's throwing to. But this Guyton player that he's throwing, Jalen Guyton, he went to North oh, Texas. I've, I watch a lot of football. I've never heard of this gentleman prior to this season. So he's making him look really good. I've been super impressed with what we've seen thus far from Herbert. All right, better to forget it. Last one for you guys, sticking with Herbert and Joe Burrow. Better to forget it. You would rather start your team with either of those two than you would with Lamar Jackson at this point of the season. If you could start your team with one of them, you would rather start it with either Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert than you would with Lamar Jackson. Are you betting it or forgetting it, Jamie? Oh, I'm betting it. 100%. I think we've already seen the best. I think Lamar Jackson has peaked and has actually started to trend downward and level out to what he really is. And I don't think he's as deep with as many tools as these other two quarterbacks are. Yeah, they may not run the ball as well as Lamar Jackson, but guess what? They can run the ball. They're big guys. They have great uh, great style, technique, and they move the ball well down the field. I, I, if it was today and I had the choice, of one of those two or Lamar Jackson, I would love to put Justin Herbert under center in Baltimore and see what he could do. See, I would bet it, and I would do Joe Burrow under center because yeah. I think, I mean, either or you win here, but I love Joe Burrow game because it's like the dual threat. He's got the arm, but he can run the ball like a Lamar Jackson. He's not going to all the time, but he will if he has to. He's the dual threat, and to me, Lamar Jackson, like you said, Rivers, has just completely dipped off. I mean, he can run the ball still, but he his arm is not what it needs to be to win games. They still have the same tools around him too yeah. the same weapons around him and it's just his performances aren't as good so Lamar Jackson last year threw for 3,100 yards he had 36 touchdowns and six interceptions an unbelievable year through the air and that's not even talking about what he did on the ground where he finished the season 1,200 yards on the ground with seven rushing touchdowns he was amazing last year a total of 43 touchdowns overall I'm going to make a quick comparison for you guys. I think what we saw from him last year is what we saw from Cam Newton in 2015. Cam Newton in 2015 finished that season with 10 rushing touchdowns and 650 yards on the ground. He finished that season through the air. Really impressive. 
3,800 yards, 35 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 45 total touchdowns that year as well. Cam Newton's never been able to have that kind of a season again. Everything was perfect around him. Great defense, finished the year 15 and one, went to the Super Bowl. Unbelievable season for Cam Newton. And lost. Lost that Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson's year was last year where everything around him was perfect. Fantastic defense, great coaching, took the league by storm. I don't think we're going to see that again. That doesn't mean he's not going to be really good. I think he's a top 10 quarterback in the league, but he's not what we saw last year. I don't think you can expect that consistently for him. So I'm with you guys. I'm betting it. I'm going with either of the other two, Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow right now, if I had to start a team over Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson doesn't really come from behind well. Every time they get behind, I feel like the pressure's too much for him, and there's no chance. When I see the Ravens go down, I'm like, but there we go. We're done. It, it's happened every time. You remember the, the first playoff game that he was in against the Chargers? They put eight defensive backs on the field. He didn't know what to do against it. Last year, when they played against the Chiefs, he really struggled against them. They get into the postseason. They play the Titans. Really struggled in that game. This year, against the Chiefs again, really struggled. Against the Steelers just this week, oh, gosh. really struggled. He's a guy that when he gets behind, he really struggles to get that team back into the game. When he's ahead, there is no quarterback in the league I don't think that you'd rather have because of his rushing prowess. But when he's coming from behind, they just they have a really hard time coming back from that. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. So I've got a quick question for you guys. Are these pro sports leagues just making bleep up as they go? Because it certainly feels that way after a report that I saw yesterday. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. The competition committee had a a long conference call today about contingencies and prepared as this pandemic obviously is not going away. We know what the numbers are spiking. And if for some reason there are games lost, uh, then what they are going to put as forth as a resolution to the owners eventually is if games are lost, there will be eight teams in each conference, four first place teams in the NFC, four first place teams in the AFC, and then four additional teams in each conference. So that would be 16 teams in all for the playoffs, and they would be uh, seated accordingly. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. Everybody gets a car. That was Chris Mortensen on ESPN earlier today talking about the NFL's apparent proposal that has just been proposed. Yes, we are eight (laughs) weeks into the NFL season. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. So are we just are we okay at this point with the sports leagues just making it all up as we go? Because (laughs) it's exciting. They're taking advantage of it, right? Baseball got to opening day and they were like, ah, you know what? Actually, one more base, one more playoff team. One more, please. And football, not on opening day. Eight weeks into the year is like, actually, you know what, guys? If we got to cancel a couple of these games, let's go ahead and get one more playoff game for that extra added revenue. Are we just at this point? Are you guys okay with all of these sports just totally making it all up as they go along here? I'm okay with it. I don't even care. Honestly, as long as we can continue to have sports and specifically now the NFL is the only game in town. If we can get some more playoff teams, whatever, I don't even care. It's 2020. It's like your, it's like your, your get out of jail free pass, right? You get one time, one year to do whatever the heck you want as a league, your trial that, you know, with no resistance from players unions, because it's unique to this situation. And it makes everybody more money too, right? Yeah. Just go for it, man. I'm okay with everything. Says something that the NHL and the NBA are the two pro sports organizations that actually stuck to the plan 
And they're the ones that everyone considers, well, NBA not so much, but the NHL everyone considers not even a real sports league. But that just goes to say what everything has been in 2020. And I think we are at that point where these commissioners don't have a plan anymore. They're losing money. They're trying to gain something. This is one of those things where in grade school you had the creative sessions, right? Where, hey, guys, go to your desks, go to your corners, and just come up with some creative ideas. Did you, uh, when you were in um, elementary school, I guess it would have been, did you have the day where you, like, create your own city? Yeah. And you have to make up, like, the the money, and you have to make up all the, the different jobs for everybody yeah. within that city? Uh, we used to do that in grade school as well. I feel like that's what these these leagues are doing now. They're making up their own money as they go along. They're making up slogans for the city. They're making their own city name. Like they're just switching it all up as we go here. And everybody's like, okay, yeah, this is perfectly normal. This is Rob Manfred world. That's what this is. Oh, this didn't even make like massive headlines yesterday. The entire landscape of football might be shifting before our very eyes instead of a team playing for a one seed which is a really big deal right now a well, really big deal currently a really big <laughs> deal anymore. you get a bye week right now based on the current way that the playoffs are set up and so like the chiefs for instance and uh the steelers the rest of the year, they're jockeying for position for that number one seed in the AFC. In the NFC, it's the same thing between the Seahawks, Cardinals, Bucks, and Saints and Packers right now. They're all jockeying to get that bye week because that is so valuable in the NFL playoffs. Well, if they go to this, it doesn't matter if you get the one or the two or the three. It's all the same. You're all playing in that first round on wild card weekend now. So the quicker that we can have a little bit of a heads up on this, and I say for us, it doesn't much matter, I guess, for us. But for these teams, I feel like that's a really big deal on how you're going to approach your schedule over the rest of the season. How many teams currently make the playoffs? <laughs> Seven in each conference. So 14 Seven in total. each conference. They and just what are switched they that up this year. What are they talking about adding? One more team? One more team to each conference. So eight in each conference. Yeah, so it would be one versus eight, two versus seven. <laughs> And three versus six and four versus five in that first round. Same thing we just saw from the baseball no, playoffs. My, the wood is burning right now between my ears. But look at the NFC East. That is just crap on crap. And the NFC North, for all intents and purposes, that's crap too, except for the Packers. I know the Bears, people argue, well, they're five and three right now. Yeah, that's a smoke and mirrors right there. So basically, where are you going to get these eight playoff teams? So let's go through this really like quickly. It's just, yeah. So you'd have yeah. in the, in, let's go to the NFC because that's the one where they, they've got the division that doesn't even deserve to make the playoffs. No, not one team deserves. No, it. I Philly, wonder if they could do that. Say you guys just stink so bad. Nobody opting out of this out. playoff plan. Yeah, you're out. So heck, you, we're winging it anyways. You've got one team from that division, unfortunately, that is required to make the postseason. So ah. that'll be one. And by the way, they're going to be hosting. One of these games. I've been declining. These if teams. I was the Eagles, I'd be like, God. you know what, guys? It's been a good year. We don't, no, we're not it's doing It's like the this. five and seven college football team that can politely decline the uh, the ability to play for a bowl for game. A bowl, yeah. a toilet bowl. I can't watch, wait to watch that team host a playoff oh. game. So the Packers are almost certainly going to make the playoffs. The Bucks are almost certainly going to make the playoffs. The Saints are almost certainly going to make the playoffs. You expect that the Seahawks and the Cardinals would both make the playoffs. So that puts you up already to six teams. Then you've basically got two more spots. The Rams, the Lions, and the Bears are probably your top contenders. Well, you haven't the put the Eagles in yet. 
Well, I've, I've already had the that division. East. What about yeah. the Vikings? Oh, you did. Okay, never mind. I, I guess the Vikings could get in. They're currently two and five. If I mean, if they do what they did this past week against the Packers, I mean, they could possible. They could be a five hundred team that makes it. So that's what you're looking at, Jamie. You're, you're basically there's one spot at the very end that's up for so grabs who did in the we NFC. Say here? We got three more spots, right? So you've got the NFC East winner, yeah. the Packers, the Bucks, the Saints. You've got the Seahawks and the Cardinals from the NFC West that are almost surefire that yeah. will make the playoffs in some capacity yeah. this year. And then you got two more spots, right? Yep. Between the Lions, Bears, and Vikings. Oh, bleh. What about the Rams? Did we say them? Rams could also make it yeah. in, in there as well. You, you basically got a few teams that are fighting for that last oh. playoff spot. Re- really, teams. it's that last one that is up for grabs oh. in the NFC. That's gross. I mean, it's not a whole lot of exciting exciting teams that are up for that eighth spot, but if you're the NFL and I tell you, hey, you can make an extra, I don't even know what it would be, but let's let's call it $10 million by having this extra game that weekend. I mean, go for it. I got no issues with it. It yeah, is what it no is issue. in 2020, but I, you just need to make sure that you know it soon because some of these teams that are actually going for that one seed – if they know that there's no advantage of having the one seed, well, they're going to treat some of these games differently down the stretch. The game between the Steelers and the Ravens coming up, that is a throw everything at the wall to see what sticks game if you are the Steelers. Like that is a kitchen sink game because it can win you the one seed mm-hmm. in the AFC right now. If it's not that, well, then you're going to hold a little bit back because then when you get to the playoffs, you want some of that to be able to throw at whoever you play in the first round and then into the second round of the NFL playoffs. Well, and injuries play into this too, right? Because if you have some guys that have some bumps and bruises or some slight strains of muscles here and there, well, what the heck would you play them for if there's really no big advantage, right? Make sure that guy's healthy for the playoffs. And, you know, when I look at the AFC, I actually see some compelling matchups that could happen because – even their bottom of the food barrel here, which is Jacksonville, uh, even Cincinnati, you'd see Joe Burrow if if he was ever to get in. And I know that's a big stretch, guys. And the Jets, well, that's just a no-brainer there. But apart from that, like, there's some games to be had. The NFC is struggling, though, man. The, the bottom half of the North and certainly the entire NFC East, that's not providing me with much... Mm, I don't know, interest. If they go this route, do you guys agree that the Bills, Steelers, Ravens, and Browns from the AFC North, the Titans and Colts from the South, and the Chiefs are all locks to make the postseason in the AFC? Because that's seven right there. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. So you're basically looking at other te- everybody else, the Raiders, the Broncos, the Chargers, um, the Bengals, the and the Dolphins, yeah. all kind of fighting for that last spot in the AFC playoffs. I'll uh, tell you this, it, it it's exciting, at least in my eyes, because if you're putting a couple of teams in there, like not talking about the NFC East winner, but if you get a Vikings team that makes it in there, that's what, five, six victories, and they're going up against a team that you have all expectations is going to beat them, it creates some interest. Yeah, like the Packers? Yeah. I mean, look what they just did to the Packers. <laughs> I know. Like, but the AFC is more of the matchups like, oh, you know who's going to win, right? Like Steelers, yeah. are, oh, okay, Steelers are going to win. The NFC at least creates that intrigue of this is a crapshoot and we'll find out what happens at the end of it. Yeah, I see the, the, the Cleveland Browns. I could see them upsetting the apple cart. If the Dolphins were to get in, even the Bills, you know, they'll probably finish first in their division, but you just don't know what Josh Allen's going to do. I feel like there's only two teams that I know really well in the AFC. I'm, I'm pretty confident they're going to make it far into the postseason, and that's the Steelers and the Chiefs. Yeah. I could see any of 
of the others. They're all kind of in that same same mix to me. Like I wouldn't be shocked if the Titans beat the Ravens in the postseason again. It wouldn't shock me. I I, I could see that going either way in, in one of those games. The Bills, if you were telling me that the Bills lost to the Colts, that wouldn't shock me at all in the first round of the playoffs. So there's a lot more up in the air in the AFC for sure. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 618. Hey, idiot, you still want the home field after the first round. That's why it's important. Sir? Yeah, you want the crowd to take the other team out of the game. Most of these teams don't have fans in the stands right now, and the ones that do, it's like 20% capacity. The Dallas Cowboys have fans in the stands, if that tells you anything. Home field doesn't mean a whole lot right They're now. almost sold out. <laughs> With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Jamie, what do you have for us today, my man? All right, guys. So I came across something that was interesting to me, and uh, I wanted to bring it up to you guys, okay? So, Alex, having a baby is an exciting time, right? That's what they say, yes. Well, you're right in it, right? You're knees deep in it right now. Yes, and we are. You have all these great things planned, and you have a baby shower planned, correct? My wife does, yes. Okay, well, your family does. Okay, yeah. so here's where I'm going with this. So imagine, now I'm not saying you in particular, but imagine being a person where you're having a baby shower. It's a huge party. All the family's there. Everybody's excited. Certainly, you know, bringing a new member into the family. And then all of a sudden, the, the father-to-be, the husband, shows up at the, uh, the, the shower with another individual that nobody recognizes. Uh, male or female? Male. And so Uh-oh. you think to yourself, okay, maybe he brought a buddy. Maybe it's a business colleague. Whatever. We're happy. It's a big celebration. I don't think Until so. that gentleman turns out to be a lawyer. And as a lawyer, he pulls up a uh, video screen that shows that the wife, the mother-to-be, had been cheating on her husband and also has the results from the doctor showing that she's actually six months pregnant, not four months pregnant, to where he wasn't even around at the time. So can you imagine at this point all of this breaking loose and then the best part? The guy who is the father that's busted on the video, he's sitting right behind the mother-to-be's dad. This is like a mobile Maury show. This is incredible. you are not the father. And at that point, people lost their mind and started throwing cake and things at the individual who was the cheater and father-to-be, so much so running him out of the party while the, uh, the husband, I guess, maybe the former husband at this point, the not father to be stood there answering questions with his lawyer. I think it's a two to tango. If it's not just the guy, I think the females involved with this one as well. I understand. Holy cow. I understand. But that guy did end up, he was the supposed father to be like friend. Serious question. If I'm attending the party and brought a gift, do I get that gift back? I would think that, first of all, your requirement would be to hit the one guy with the gift and then take it back. Are you back. talking about yes. the, the, like the dad? No, if I was a family member that went to the, went to the party <laughs> and I brought a baby back. gift, do I get my gift back? Seriously. 
this is like your sister-in-law. Yeah. And you're like, hey, uh, I would actually like that those diapers. Yeah. I've got a kid at home. I'm going to go ahead and take those yeah. for me, actually. I will take those bottles back to my house. Now, this guy, the father not to be now, uh, he addressed the crowd afterwards and said, hey, 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 don't leave, okay? Because this party, that's for them. Obviously, it's not for me now, but we should have the party for them. And that's when people went kind of nuts and started throwing cake and stuff at the um, the uh, the best friend that oh is not so God. much of a good you friend. You can't come back from that. No, right? no, no, like no. You, no, you can't come back from that. It's done. Well, yeah, no. there's two parties, right, that can't come back from this. First of all, the wife, who yeah. is having this child now with another man, mm. uh, that, that's, that marriage is probably done. Mm. That, and that's forever, an entire family, too. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, well, he was a jerk. That's the other thing. The other one that cannot come back from this is the husband who thought that it was his child. Mm. He's not coming back from having this conversation publicly, bringing his lawyer (laughs) to the baby shower to show, hey, I got the receipts. What a move. I think, you know, I think he is coming back. I think it it took some serious cojones, like the size of church bells, to do this in front of this whole thing. Oh, I got no... I'm saying he's going to get the sympathy date after this one. He can't come back from from that. No, from everybody else. Oh, sure. But what I'm saying <laughs> is you, you, you can't, can't go back that. into the marriage. Oh, no, God, no. And the families are done, too. Absolutely. Like, like your family's not speaking to her. Her family's not speaking to you. Unfriending them on oh, Facebook. Yeah. This done. is Romeo and Juliet type yeah. of stuff. Someone's... Where you've got family wars going on now. Like, you just started. Yeah. Instead of being like the thing where you two are coming together among the fighting families, no, yeah. no, you just started the brawls. No. I wouldn't have brought a lawyer. I would have brought, like, a pro fighter or something like that just to go at the guy. He wanted legitimacy to this, and he wanted like the official documents and he wanted it to I, be uh the shock value that it was i think he succeeded gentlemen. i would have called jerry springer and said can you please come to this event that with wouldn't me? legitimize it though oh. people be like oh come on six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service tax line from the six one eight bk you can't even change a tire no way you're confronting anyone i don't even know what this is in response well, i don't know to. what you, did you say you'd confront yeah, him? i didn't you didn't no. say that I, I would never pretend to fight somebody. You're an innocent bystander. You just got clipped for no reason. I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, he's right, but you didn't have to text it right now. Uh, my junk drawer story that I'd like to bring into the fold today, this was just posted out on Instagram. Juju Smith-Schuster posted on Instagram, he has been fined $5,000 by the NFL, and he posted the story of his fine, or the letter from the league about why he was fined quote specifically your stockings failed to cover your lower leg Mm. this dude was fined five grand because his socks were too low when you show those calves it gets risky Apparently, he and James Conner were both fine for not wearing socks that went high enough. And my guy, Frank Gore, my guy, Frank Gore, has also been fined in the past $10,000 for wearing his socks too low. That happened in the NFC Championship. That's because they're the original socks he wore in 1927. Well, this was back in 2013, so it was almost a decade ago, which is wild. To what reason are we fining them? Like This is ridiculous. Is it a dress code? Because I I know basketball players... 
get technicals if their jerseys aren't tucked in. Yeah, hockey right? now hockey has players, the, the Gretzky-Ovi rule where penalty, you have to have it untucked. Yeah, and the penalty when you lose your helmet. So, I mean, like, is there some it reason? Sucks. Now, OBJ, when I watched that game where he just got hurt, he had a big part of his leg exposed because I was like, what is on his leg? And they were tats. So, why is he not fine? That's crap. Marcus Peters wears short socks like every week. I can always see his legs. Right, they're, well, they're now you're being, I didn't know you were looking. Now you're being a snitch. Mm. The reason why That's I can why see them is... looking at my calves. <laughs> Let me explain this. Right, the reason sorry. why I look at them is because they are very skinny chicken legs, very much like mine. Ooh, it reminds right. me of myself. So you say, hey, if he good. can do it, I can do it. it. You just feel picked good a fight. He's up there. You just picked a fight. Legion of Boomer coming yep. for you now. Oh, good luck with that one. I have no idea. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Speaking of hockey, the Blues, the key to their success this year. Is it Jordan Cairo? We'll talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's going to have to find a way to become productive to play in that role. But my goodness, what an opportunity uh, that he has potentially in the top six if they decide that they want to put Braden Shen at center and keep the centerman as Shen, O'Reilly, and Thomas. I mean, Jordan Cairo's development is a huge key, potentially, for the Blues to not have to go out and make a move and then give them some lineup flexibility and depth. How important is Jordan Cairo to this team this year? Well, I said before the break, is Jordan Cairo one of the Blues' keys to success? And 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Yeah, Cairo is like the 15th key to the Blues' success. So he's one of the keys if it's like a custodian's key ring. I appreciate that. That's not fair. Okay, now in fairness to the texter, that's what he's been. Okay, and I think that that's the whole point behind this is that Jordan Cairo has been that one of 15 keys on the custodian's key ring. But to Chris Kerber's point uh, on the intro there, this is a big moment for Jordan Cairo. And I've said this before. Right now on paper, it reminds me a lot of a guy named Ty Ratty that the Blues had, which was he was a dynamic scorer, French Canadian kid, come in, all these skills. And it just never translated to the NHL game. Now, I do think that Jordan Cairo is more talented and a better overall player than Ty Ratty. But for loose comparison's sake, this is why this season is so big for Jordan Cairo. And right now, guys, last time I checked, Vladimir Tarasenko is injured. Don't know when he's going to be back. Not sure if he'll be back for the regular season. If so, there's a spot up in the top six that's available for somebody who can reach out and grab it. Sammy Blay is not that guy. Um, you know, go down the line. Zach Sanford, he's going to probably be with O'Reilly and Perron. You look, there's not a lot of options, I guess is what I'm saying. You're not going to take Clem Costin and right away plug him into the top six. So who's your guy? Jordan Cairo. He's done everything at every level to be that guy except the NHL. And that is exactly what Doug Armstrong told Jeremy Rutherford in a story just the other day that I saw over on The Athletic. This comes from Doug Armstrong. Quote, this year there's no injury. He's not rusty, and he's not working his way back in. That's all gone now. So that's a young player that we need to see how he's going to perform. He's been an in-and-out type of player, a player that we needed, or who needed, rather, the misfortune of other people so that way he could get his opportunity. 
We're trying to eliminate that need for misfortune. And that's another level that he has to take. I'm hoping he's at the point now where when I talk to Craig Berube about his lineup, I never have to wonder if Schwartz or Shin or Perron are going to play. I'm hoping Kairou is in that category now. That's what that I'm never wondering. Is this guy going to be the guy sitting beside me in the press box on any given night? The most important thing that I heard there, and I've lived this, lived it, is trying to eliminate the need of misfortune to another player. I've lived it where I've been the extra guy and you're the great teammate and you love your teammates, but you're like, it's awful that you're kind of pulling on this string of hoping somebody doesn't play well. You're never hoping for an injury that you'd never do. But bottom line is you're waiting for somebody to screw up. So you get your chance. Now, the problem with that is it's a high stress situation then when you get plugged back in the lineup and you're Jordan Cairo, because right away you're not getting top six minutes. You're getting third or fourth line. You've got to do something with that seven and a half minutes that you're being given, which is out of your wheelhouse. So now the comfort, if he can get that confidence from Craig Berube and his staff, the comfort of getting a chance to play regularly with these guys and getting into a groove, that's going to mean a lot for Jordan Cairo. And I hope, Alex that it brings out the best in him. It has to. I mean, you said this is a big year for Jordan Cairo. I think this is the year for Jordan Cairo because if you don't make this top nine, crack this top six, your NHL career, at least with the Blues, is over. You you might be on the fast track for an everyday AHL player like Ty Ratty was. You'll get a shot on another NHL team like Ty Ratty did, but it's not going to be long. And look, Jordan Kyrou's already fighting against the grain because he is the opposite of what the NHL is right now. I mean, we just saw the Tampa Bay Lightning win with a heavy physical brand of hockey. The same with the St. Louis Blues, the same with the Washington Capitals. you got to go back to the Chicago Blackhawks to win they won that had the speedy forwards that were implementing a effect to an NHL Stanley Cup championship team I think a lot of this rides on Doug Armstrong too and I think there should be some concern about Cairo because you said it Rivs no Vladimir Tarasenko which means you're relying on all of your scoring from Shen Schwartz Thomas Perron O'Reilly you got to have something other than that because Blay hasn't given you the hope Sanford hasn't given you the hope Sunquist and Barbashev are middle tier you might waste a year of a Stanley Cup window by hoping Kairou turns into a point producer if you don't go out there when you have the option to go get a top six forward who can score. This reminds me so much of the conversation that we were having six months ago about the Cardinals outfield. It really does. Like I I can't stop hearing in my own head the comparisons of Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas to what we're talking about right now with Jordan Cairo. He's about to get his opportunity, and it doesn't have to end the way that it did with Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas. We we aren't super excited about them moving forward now because of how they played this year. Cairo could do the opposite. It's possible that Cairo takes advantage of his opportunity the way that eventually Dylan Carlson did for the Cardinals, and he takes it and runs with it. And now go Going into the later portions of the season or the postseason or going into next year, you're super excited about what Jordan Kyrou is going to bring. That's absolutely out there for him. But it reminds me so much of, hey, it's about getting these guys an opportunity. We need to find out what we have here, and this is the chance to do it. The Cardinals found out what they had in Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas. Now it's up to the Blues to do the same, figuring out what they have right now in Jordan Cairo. And one thing to remember here, guys, is Jordan Cairo was one of the best players available. 
for the Blues to draft. At that point in the draft, Jordan Cairo was projected to be there. So not just Doug Armstrong, other people in the NHL and the hockey world deemed this guy to be a really tremendous prospect for whoever drafted him. He still has that ability. Now, yeah, Alex, to your point, you're right. The NHL, as far as a championship team, is trending towards some heavy forwards. But the Blues have that. Mm -hmm. They have that, right? And what they don't have is dynamic scoring. And I'm not saying Kairou can be that guy, but when is the last time the St. Louis Blues had an 80-point player? Uh, Pavel Dimitra. Yeah, Pavel Dimitra. Guys, that's a long time ago. Yep. So Doug Armstrong's theory of death by a thousand cuts, it has to be that. So therefore, Jordan Cairo has to be able to contribute. He has to be one of the cuts yeah. that they're able to provide. You got to be a 15, 20 goal scorer on this team. And I know that's asking a lot, but that's what you were viewed as when you were selected. And you said that he was the best available. He was. But it's interesting because two picks later, a identical player to Jordan Cairo was selected by the Chicago Blackhawks, and it was Alex Dabrinkit. Small, stocky guy, fast, can score goals. Look at what Dabrinkit's done. Look at what Kairou's done. And I get the argument. You got Kane and Taves. In fairness, Dabrinkit's had the premium ice time with some great all-world yes, players. I agree 100% on that. But now he has that. Before he didn't. Before he didn't have O'Reilly, he didn't have Shen. But it's also putting him in the position to succeed. If he's on the fourth line... That, to me, is signal of the end of Kairou because they don't view him as, as a top six forward. If he's playing top six minutes, he's got to become an Alex Dabrinkit. You know what else is important here? It's the end of his entry-level deal after the end of this season. This is it. This is, this is his opportunity. Now, they, they're, they I would imagine, restricted free agency or, or something of the sort will be They'll come hang up on to his it. rights as long as they want it's to. He's yeah. 27, 28 before he's unrestricted. But... This is the end of the guarantees and the contract. And so if if the Blues after this year wanted to move on, they could if they decided that that's the route they want to go. And we have no idea what the money situation is going to look like for these teams moving forward. But Jordan Cairo is going to get his opportunity. He deserves his opportunity. This is his last best shot his last best shot he's going to get that that chance to be able to play with better players he's going to get the ice time he's guaranteed minutes all of it is there for the taking now he's got to go prove it just like with the cardinals they gave an opportunity to tyler o'neill a big one it was his chance to be able to go out there and take it he didn't then dylan carlson eventually did don't be the guy that can't can't go out there and take advantage of it go take it from him Go take what they're giving you and run with it. That's what's uh, in front of Jordan Cairo for this upcoming season. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 116. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including there was a running back a couple of weeks ago that was getting a heck of a lot of hype for MVP. There's a more deserving running back for MVP right now, and he's getting no hype. Tell you who that is coming up next. We get some NFL quick hitters on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, and let's start with Alvin Kamara. Because, guys, a couple of weeks ago, Derrick Henry was the talk of the town, right? Ooh. The the Tennessee Titans were exciting. They were fun. Everybody was surprised that they were doing this again. And Derrick Henry was the leading candidate from that team to get some MVP hype. 
Why isn't that happening for Alvin Kamara right now, guys? Because as of today, he leads the NFL with 990 yards from scrimmage. He has accounted for 36% of the Saints' total yards from scrimmage on the season. The highest in the league by far. Dalvin Cook is second at 30% for the Viking. He has 55 receptions. Alvin Kamara does, which is second in the NFL behind only DeAndre Hopkins on the year. He is right now on pace for nearly 1,000 rushing yards and 1,250 receiving yards. That's more than 2,000 yards from scrimmage. Guys, what am I missing here? Why isn't Alvin Kamara getting hyped for the MVP the same way that Derrick Henry was previously? Well, first of all, let's establish that you hate running backs, okay? And I like so, running backs that can catch, though. No, nope, uh, doesn't matter. Nope, you nope. say they're not yeah, worth it and they shouldn't get worth, paid, shouldn't even be in the not league. Not worth That's, the poop at all. So, anyway, Not at all, I'm <laughs> So, based on the fact that BK hates running backs, this should actually really resonate because why would he be talking about it, right? And so my boy BK, who would love to dive into the numbers and does an incredible job at it yeah you know what you've got me scratching my head right now why is this guy not being talked about i mean look you got drew Brees that we know okay he's not slinging it like he used to well rubber arm is 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 actually there now it ain't happening anymore but so alvin kamara is he's been doing an amazing job i watched him the other night i'm like this guy is incredible but you're right we talk about derrick henry why because he's this big mutant that runs through people and and but this guy is by far one of the most effective players never mind running backs and receiver one of the most effective players that an offense could have so yeah you know what i'm guilty of this i am now on the kamara train well and i'm guilty of it too because i have talked derrick henry non-stop yeah you were like henry uh, for sure it's MVP. true though i mean God. when you stiff arm a man who's 200 plus pounds kind of look at him that way the only thing i can think of is the poor start of the season for the saints Right? Like, I mean, the Titans start off undefeated, and that's why we're talking about it, because Henry is playing like an MVP, Tannehill playing like an MVP. I mean, the only thing, BK, I can think of is the fact that the Saints started off with, what, a 1-3 and three overall yeah, record? Yeah, they were 1-2 and two to start the year. They're 5-2 and two now, though, you know? Oh. And they, they've won their last three games. I know they've been close. They haven't been sexy, but they've won nonetheless. Despite Speak for yourself. They've, they they've good. been without Michael Thomas. That's, that's the other thing, too. He's picked it up where Michael Thomas typically would. He has, again, the second most receptions in all of football. He's playing his role combined with Michael Thomas's role in the same offense. I saw this yesterday and I thought it was wild. One of the more unreal stats that I've seen so far this year. Alvin Kamara has 520 yards after the catch. So from the time that he catches the Yuck. football... Yeah, yak. From the time that he catches the football to where he goes Boom, down, Ferrari, so 520 <laughs> yards. That leads the NFL, and he's almost lapping the field right now. Cooper yak. Cup is second with 300 yards after catch. Alvin Kamara, 520. Cooper Cup second with 300. The gap between first and second is same as the gap in the NFL between second and 89th in yards after catch. Huh? He is like... It's it's him. There's this massive gap filled with like 17 different cities, and then it goes to Cooper Cup. I think it's pretty simple. Then you've just implanted it and brainwashed all of us that running backs suck. That's they don't why matter. we don't talk oh, about them. Come on, they're it's the only possible thing. Guy at Walgreens can be my running back. BK Enough. has brainwashed us. Enough. I'm done with you. Enough. Alvin <laughs> Kamara should be in the MVP conversation right now. Right after the top four quarterbacks, he should be fifth right now in the conversation in my mind. Uh, next thing up, as we go through some NFL.
NFL quick hitters, and we're going to be joined by Kylie McDaniel of ESPN. He's going to join us coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. How long do you guys think teams should stick with their young first-round quarterbacks? Because last night, I watched a guy that I wouldn't stick, stick with much longer. Daniel Jones is terrible. Oh. He's not good. You look at Sam Darnold with the Jets, he's not good. Oh. Time to move on. And I'm really asking this because with the Dolphins, there was a report that came out after that game on Sunday that apparently they are trying to evaluate Tua right now to decide what they should do in next year's draft. I don't know if you guys remember, but they tr- they got the first round pick from the Texans. So they're going to have potentially a top five to ten pick in next year's draft. And they're wondering, do we consider a quarterback in the first round with that pick? We need to find out what we have in Tua to know one way or the other. How long do you feel like these guys at least deserve before you even consider moving on from them? Well, first of all, Dolphins, sober up, okay? You cannot possibly possibly be doing that to Tua right now. Why? What if the what if there's another guy who's a franchise quarterback? Oh my god, then how long are you going to play this game? How long are you going to play this Until game? Do you find then the franchise? Why did you take Tua? Because you thought he was. And I guess he didn't predict the yeah. Texans to suck so bad. That's um, the big thing. Right? I mean, yeah. the Texans right now, if the season ended today, would have the fourth overall pick. Okay, well, now I see what you're saying. You but I shot. still think that that's kind of ridiculous. Because Tua was predicted to be one of the most talented players coming in, especially at that position. And now Herbert has you know surpassed him. And Joe Burrow was always ahead of him in my books. But he's still somewhere sandwiched in the middle of all that. So, um... Anyways, back to the original question. Uh, yeah, I think three years. I think three years is your window on these guys. Like, like Baker Mayfield to me is still a question mark. I'm still on the fence with Baker Mayfield. I think that watching a lot of guys break down video on TV, they do a great job of showing where he's he's deficient and that it hasn't gotten better. If these players don't get better continuously every game, every month, every year, then you have to wonder if he plateaus that early in his career, a second year or third year guy to me, you got to move on. So I think three years is the magic number. And if they're really, really bad, then two years, you cap it at that. But I think that's, that's it. After that four or five years, you're hanging on too long. See, I don't know if I would put a number on it. I think it's tied into the to coach. I think if you find yourself a head coach that you feel like you could build a future with, then you stick with a quarterback until you find out if the quarterback can't play. I mean, look at what the, the Rams did with Jared Goff. I mean, Jared Goff was like, okay, is this guy a drop? Like, should we move on? And then Sean McVay comes in and he turns the guy around. The same with Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. I think when you look at teams like Miami, who, BK, you said the other day, you love the Dolphins head yeah. coach. And then you look at the Browns, who have gone through how many head coaches? Bro, before I they like found the current someone. one, though. I like Stefanski. And I think that gives you the shot to actually view Baker Mayfield. So I would tie it into how long you put the leash on the coaching staff. That's a really good point there, actually, Ferrario. And what? I, I think that there's, on in, it's warm. there's the kind of nice. a sliding scale here. Um, <laughs> if your guy is just trash, I mean just awful, with no signs of hope, Daniel Jones, you can move on from him after a year. I'm looking. I I love Josh Rosen coming into the draft. I was just wrong. He wasn't good. He was terrible for the Cardinals, and they knew it after the first year. Mm-hmm. This is not a good situation for him yeah. to be in. And they decided Kyler Murray is the guy, and they paired him with their coach who believed 100% in Kyler Murray. If that's the case, I got no issues with you moving on after one season. If they do show some signs, though, some flash, and I think Daniel Jones showed enough last year that Mm -hmm. he deserved a second season of evaluation, you give him two years. 
Baker showed a full season almost of being pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. He broke the rookie record for touchdown passes in a season. Yeah, but I think teams figured him out then. I'm with you. And so that's when you get three years. So there's kind of a sliding scale of, okay, if you show something like Baker, you get that third year of true evaluation. If you show at least a little bit in your first year, you deserve that second year of evaluation. If you're awful, I'm good with moving on from you after one year. And how it applies to the Jets, Giants, and Dolphins, I've got no issue whatsoever with the Jets and Giants moving on after the year. No issue. Does the if, clock reset for you if you find a new coach, though, that you feel like, like no. the Giants sense? I Joe actually think it goes the other way. Really? Um, like, for, for the Jets, they're going to have a new coach. I think it makes it even makes even more sense to for them to one. just start anew. Just get a, get a whole new culture in there. New coach, Throw the Bears new quarterback. <laughs> sure. <laughs> new coach, no, new quarterback. Giants are a little different because they've got the coach. If he believes in Daniel Jones, okay. Yeah. Uh, you, you go down with the ship, I guess. But I, I would personally say Daniel Jones has shown you enough at this point. He's not the answer. He's not. So go get the guy that is the answer. If you think Justin Fields can be that, go get him in this upcoming draft. Same thing would be true, of course, of Trevor Lawrence if they end up with the number one overall pick instead. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Riley. Kylie McDaniels, an ESPN baseball insider. What does he think about this upcoming market for free agency? How long is it going to take before we actually start seeing some signings in baseball? Well, that's Kylie McDaniel when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. The only thing you have to get right, the only thing, like you can mess up the entire Sports Center update, Ferrario. The only thing that is required is you make sure to thank our friends over at Shane Co. And I gave them the shout out at the end. The problem was, you guys, I don't know if you deal with this, when you hear somebody say a word and you're ready to talk, that word is stuck in your head. And I heard Rims in the commercial, we were talking about something with the Stanley Cup, and he said Stanley. And of course, I go into it, and it's the Stanley Cup update. Uh, oh, jeez. The funny thing is, I got to give Alex his props here. He's seriously incredible at those <laughs> updates, but it's like hero or zero for Alex. Yeah, it's win or lose. There's no in between on oh this my. one. So speaking of phenomenal, Kylie McDaniel does a fantastic job over at ESPN where he is a baseball insider. You can give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Kylie McD. Joining us here on 101 ESPN via the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line. Kylie, always appreciate the time, man. Sorry about the shenanigans coming in. How you doing today? <laughs> I uh, do pretty good. Do you want me to audition for the new update guy, or uh, how you looking there? Take it, Kylie. Take it. <laughs> well, Ferrario would be happy to have you fill in. We'll we'll have you on as a guest instead. So let's talk about this free agent market or whatever we want to call it, the cold market, if you will. What's going on here? How long do you think it's going to be before we actually see any real movement with this free agency market this offseason? I mean, it's hard to say. Cause, so the situation we're in right now is obviously teams lost uh, money this year. Some teams lost a ton of money. And actually, one of the interesting things that I'll, I'll be writing in the next uh, couple of days at ESPN.com is a couple agents have told me that they are hearing that Tampa Bay might be one of the teams that has the most money. And it's it makes sense if you put together all the pieces, which is teams are losing essentially um, – they're losing some of the TV money because they played fewer games, but they're still getting the playoff money. Tampa went to the World Series. There's, you know, a big influx of money there. And what was lost essentially was game day revenue of like selling tickets, selling concessions, parking, all that sort of thing. Tampa Bay might have been the lowest in the league, whereas the Yankees are probably the highest in the league. So the Yankees lost a huge amount of money, and then the Rays lost a much lower amount of money. And then they also got more playoff money, and they had a bunch of money coming off the books. That, you know, Morton and, and um, Zanito have about $20 million coming off the books. 
books and the Yankees have some coming off the books too, but they probably overspent a little bit. So it's a very unique off season in that things like that Tampa Bay might have top half of uh, MLB money to spend this off season. Uh, that also means that while, you know, the Yankees might not have as much money as they were expecting. Uh, I've had teams tell me we don't have a payroll right now. Like I don't have a number to spend to. This is like GMs, AGMs, presidents, guys like that. Uh, and they're like, you know, we have a number that we have to stay under right now. We think it will rise during the off season, probably January, February. And so in that case, if, you know, say like the Braves spent about 150 million this year, let's say that number is a hundred million, like artificially low. And they think it's going to get to 130. That means even if they want to sign JT Real Muto or whatever the big move would be, the big free agent of the off season, they're going to wait until January when that number goes up and it also might not go up. So projecting the top of the market is, well, you assume those top three or four guys will get their money. It's possible even they have to settle for one-year deals. And then even if that money comes, it'll come later. And then is it the sixth best guy has to settle for a one-year deal too? Like it could be really ugly and take a really long time compared to other off-season. Uh, Kylie, you mentioned Tampa Bay and that they could have you know an excess of money. Doesn't mean they're going to spend it, but they'd have that option. Is there another team in Major League Baseball that could be you know, the salmon swimming upstream and doing something different than the other teams like I looked I mentioned earlier on the show that I look at the Mets you got a brand new owner and, and a great market there would could they be a team that swoops in and starts signing guys or getting guys through trades and adding payroll while most teams are trying to dump payroll that was the example I was going to give before you finish your question. Uh, they they are interesting because I mean a they have the most the uh, the richest owner in baseball, but it's like ten ten billion dollars richer than every other owner, and I think he's like has the same net worth as like the bottom ten owners all put together. Uh, and obviously, like how much money the owner have has doesn't necessarily map exactly to how much money they spend. Uh, but in this case, he bought the Mets. He has said privately and has sort of you know gotten around baseball. He wants to make the Dodgers of the East Coast. And if you look what the Dodgers did until they could make a scouting and development machine and, you know, get their Seekers and Will Smith's and all these guys coming up all at once, they spent money to make the team good in the short term to compete and then sort of offload that money as those guys become bad values, uh, bring up their own guys. Uh, there's an interesting uh, parallel with possibly looking at, um, you know, DJ LeMahieu, Springer, Real Muto, Trevor Bauer, uh, a lot of guys that, you know, if, if there's an off season to be entering with a bunch of money to spend and hold to fill, this is, you're going to get the best values from the team perspective this year. And so walking with a new owner and something to prove, if they just jump in right now and start giving out, you know, market level offers, they'll just get whoever they want. But obviously there's only, you know, 25, 28, whatever the number is going to be this year, uh, roster spot. So there is some limitations, but yeah, that's, that's the one everyone's keeping an eye on. ESPN baseball insider, Kylie McDaniel joining us here on one one ESPN. All right, Kylie, I want to ask you specifically about the Cardinals here, because I mean, we don't really know what to expect. I would imagine this is the case, as you said earlier for most teams, but we talked to team president Bill with the third, the other day on the show. And he basically said, Hey, if you tell me how many fans we're going to have in the stands next year, I can kind of tell you what we're going to be able to do. The problem is they probably aren't going to have that answer for a while, like you were saying earlier. So if you're a team like the Cardinals and you already have one hundred and thirty to one hundred and forty million dollars in payroll obligations going into next year, how in the world can you improve this roster over the next couple of months to be able to improve an offense that has just been dormant for the last couple of years? 
I mean, it's essentially impossible if those are the parameters you're working with. And you could argue that, I mean, aside from the teams like Texas, who just built a new stadium, the Angels and Cubs, who just invested in the area around their stadium and took on a lot of debt, uh, teams like Houston that just like spent to the top of their payroll and then obviously COVID hit. Those are the teams that are kind of in the most trouble in terms of like they basically were assuming that they were going to keep making money at the same level to cover what they had spent. Uh, the two teams in biggest trouble would be the White Sox and the Reds because they went from not very good to signing free agents trying to go for it and they just signed everyone right before COVID hit at market rates including extensions for their own players so it's like everybody's getting paid probably double what they would sign for right now uh like Yasmani Grandal uh Eloy Jimenez uh uh, Mike Moustakis with Cincinnati, all those kinds of guys. Uh, and so those sorts of teams, they're just out of money and they're just stuck with what they got for the next couple of years. Now I mentioned Atlanta, they are owned by a corporate entity that is in some trouble. And I bring all this up because I think St. Louis, while not exactly in those specific situations, they are not going to run a $200 million payroll, but they were sort of running as though they were going to have full stadiums. That was sort of like the thing that propped up their payroll to the level that it was. And there's obviously some, you probably call it bad money uh, in terms of guys like Dexter Fowler that are using guaranteed money that aren't like impact players. And so the way you would work around this would either be to trade um, young players to then go get veterans to fill in holes, which I don't think is like a good long-term solution. That's not really going to solve anything or to dump some of your existing money, which there is no market to dump money. And if you want to look at like the trade market as a way to just swap out, you know, like players, but fill some holes, uh, there's a chance the free agent market could be the guys, you know, the sixth or seventh best free agent, like Marcelo Zuna might be signing a one year deal for $18 million. So whatever money you have, it could get someone better than the uh, trade market would allow. And so this is why team, most teams, I think the Cardinals are included, are essentially paralyzed because the guy that they need to make their offense better might be available on a one-year deal with very little risk for the amount of money that they have to do this. But nobody wants to do anything until they know what's going on. And like you're saying, this is all tied to attendance and how many games there's going to be. Uh, and I talked to one assistant GM yesterday, and he was basically saying, like, yeah, that's an issue, but if we think it's going to be less than 50% capacity the whole season, each individual game is going to be operating at a loss. So in some cases, a smaller amount of games may be better in terms of revenue. And we're probably just going to, you know, do you play a ton of games and lose a lot of money, or do you play a few games and lose a little bit per game? Like, it's not necessarily that different. So teams just have to kind of guess almost based on how – you know, COVID recovery is going around the country and just assume that that will map to, uh, you know, what the revenues are going to be. So it's not even like there's, you know, January 1st, we're all going to know the answer. Like there's not really a day. So I think everyone's going to sit and wait and maybe hope that, you know, Steve Cohen buys the Mets and then starts doing stuff and sets the market. And then everyone knows what's going to happen after that, but no one's done anything yet. Kylie, I got to ask a follow-up on that because I'm watching the NBA negotiations take place right now, and the owners are, and Adam Silver are basically saying, can we please start early? Can we please start early? Because we've got $500 million on the line. we got to get this thing going as quick as humanly possible. The NFL is basically saying, oh, you tested for positive for COVID? That's fine. Go play. Go get this game in, and we'll figure it out later. Uh, the NHL yeah. is trying to get as many games in as they possibly can to be able to get their TV contracts done. And then I hear you say, and I've heard certainly owners say this as well, Every game could potentially cost baseball money, and there were owners this year that didn't even want to play the season. How is baseball that far behind these other sports in terms of their non-game day uh, revenues, the non-gate revenues, that they're actually losing money by playing these games? I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm really confused by this, and if you have any insight that you could provide on that, I would really appreciate it. Well, I, some of the reporting from uh, Woj and Zach Lowe, uh, 
uh, I guess we'll call them colleagues, uh, has been the same issue with the NBA as MLB, which is, I, I forget what the break-even number is. I'm not sure anyone actually knows what it is, but let's just say it's going to be 25% capacity for the next 12 months, and so we know what the sort of attendance upside is for the whole season. They were saying the issue with the NBA is they think they're going to lose money on a per-game basis. Uh, and you might say, well, you know, what about the Lakers have a really big, you know, local TV contract or, you know, is there some way around this? The owners and uh, and the league are looking at it as the average of all 30 teams. So, like, yeah, there's maybe a team that has a great local TV deal and doesn't have a bunch of gate revenue and has a low payroll and maybe not a lot of overhead and they already own their stadium outright. So there's no debt payments. Like, there's probably a team that it would be positive for. But on the whole, if we're talking, you know, a quarter or even less or maybe some places at zero percent of um, of attendance, like. The whole, the the teams are based on we're going to have uh, the amount of fans based on how good of a product we're putting out. And there's been some quotes, uh, you know, sort of uh, blind items, uh, if you will, from owners basically saying we got a little too fat off the land. We just assumed that we were going to be at 80 percent capacity with the same TV deal and all that kind of stuff forever. And so some teams are looking even as far down as like we have 15 guys in our R&D department doing stats. We just assumed that that was the right amount for, you know, getting two million fans a year. Like maybe now that should be eight. And that's the very last place they're going to cut, because if you're spending sixty thousand dollars on a kid doing spreadsheets and databases and stuff like he's definitely making you that money back whereas you know some guys you know selling tickets it's maybe easier to, sh- to show that they're not but you just need those amount of people so this is a problem that all sports are dealing with it's a little unique uh in other ways with baseball because there's not already a split between the owners and the players based on the revenues so they have to fight over the split and about how to make the pie bigger whereas the other sports already have an agreement that right. whatever the Wherever the amount of money is, we're going to split up this way. So, and baseball also has the CBA coming after this year. And then one last thing to bring up is next offseason's uh, free agent market is probably the best in 10 years. There's going to be six or seven guys that on merit should probably get over $100 million. And this year, there might be one or two. And so even teams that are looking at that real Muto or Springer this year, there's better versions of it next year. Last question that I've got for you, Kylie, and really great info there. If anybody wants to find more of your work, ESPN.com is where they find it, where you're a baseball insider. Last question that I've got for you. we got to ask about Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. Are you hearing anything about their markets out there? And how realistic do you think it is that both could potentially end up back here in St. Louis? Uh, Wainwright, it still seems like it's probably St. Louis or Atlanta. Because uh, I, I think he's just going to sign one-year deals for somewhere between you know 5 and $8 million for the rest of his career. Uh, I'm kind of amazed that he's you know still been productive. Uh, so I would guess it's you know essentially maybe two-thirds stays in St. Louis, one-third goes to Atlanta. And then Molina, it sounds like he wants a two-year deal. In this market, like there might be five two-year deals on the or two or more year deals on the entire market, so he's just not going to get it unless the, you know, Cardinals just want to pay him based on what he's done in the past, which you know sometimes happens, and that would be the kind of guy that it would happen with. But I don't think the market's going to bear it. Uh, so I would imagine, you know, odds are that the Cardinals get them both back on one-year deals, but I would say Wainwright would be the one that has a chance to leave. He's Kylie McDaniel. Find him over on ESPN.com, where you can check out his list of the top free agents right now. It's a really fantastic read. ESPN.com is where. You you find it also on Twitter at Kylie McD. You can also check out his book, Future Value, The Battle for Baseball's Soul and How Teams Will Find the Next Superstar. He wrote that one. You can check it out on his Twitter account at Kylie McD, where he, you can find all of the info on where you can buy that book. It's a really good read. Kylie, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We look forward to talking with you again soon. It will probably be at the next break when I just give all the sports <laughs> updates. Kylie, nah. you're the best, man. Always appreciate it. <laughs> Bye.
You got it. That's Kylie McDaniel joining us here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> First of all, that dude is awesome, and he has a lot of info and talks to a lot of people. Second of all, every time that I talk to somebody about baseball's revenue situation, I am more and more entrenched in it's time to go to a cap for both sides, for the owners, for the players. It is time to go to a salary cap system. And especially at this point, I know in the past, it's been the players that have been super, super hesitant to go that route. Now it is almost becoming to the point where it is malpractice (laughs) by their players association if they decide not to go that route, because baseball I'll tell you right now, Jamie, they're not going to go through this offseason and then suddenly next year, everything's going to go back to normal. It's not going to go that way. The guys that are at the top end of the market, the Corey Seegers and Carlos Correa's, they'll still get their money. Mm-hmm. But the same players this offseason that are getting just a punch in the gut with a one year, two million dollar deal that maybe would have gotten ten million dollars in most seasons. That's the same guy that's going to get hit hard again next offseason, and it's not going to stop there if they don't decide to change this up. The salary cap, and yes, the argument is, and we heard it earlier today, is, uh, well, the owners only have to disclose what what they deem to be baseball revenue and that there's other ancillary avenues of revenue for these owners. Guess what? At least you have some idea of something, right? Because right now it's literally just dark. You have no idea. You're in the dark, and you don't have any idea what the owners are pulling in. They're claiming losses after losses after losses, and the media is talking about losses, and that could be true. And if it is, that sucks, and I feel bad for them because, yeah, it's a lot of money, but we're just not sure. Wouldn't you feel better if you actually had a bit of an idea? And if you could collectively bargain, because what's happening with the NHL and what's happening, what's going to happen with the NFL and what is happening with the NBA right now is you artificially support a fake cap. Basically, what they do is they say, I know we are, if we put what the real uh, projections should be for next year's salary cap for the NFL right now, everybody would be down like $100 million compared to their actual cap, what it is set at right now. What they're going to do is they're kicking the can down the road. Yeah. And so they're pulling from future year's revenue that that's going to be what they're eventually going to be able to make. So they'll artificially keep it lower in future years so that way they can support it this upcoming year. They'll take on basically loans to be able to pay this Wait, now. They'll do good business? And then in the future, they'll be able to pay that off over time. Major League Baseball is just saying, ah, forget all of that. There is no artificial crap here. We're just going to kick everything. We're going to take everything on the nose now. And then later on, whenever we've got the money, ah, we'll get it to you eventually. It, it, it's ter- it's a terrible situation for players. Absolutely awful out there right now. So huge thanks to Kylie McDaniel for hopping on with us today. Plenty to react to for tomorrow for us as well. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the Fast Lane coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. BT in studio, crossing things over with the fast lane. BT, what's up, man? What are they crossing over? It's 156. What the I hell know. are you guys doing? Who I are you know. talking to? We're talking to Kylie McDaniel. He got he started talking about Kylie how Kylie and Kylie? It's true. Both of us were men. It's adorable. Allegedly. And <laughs> talking about myself, not Kylie McDaniel. Confirmed on him. He we're still wondering on my You're great. You um we're talking well. with him about baseball and the okay. free agency stuff. You know, he said basically, hey, good you know, things? wake up in February. And uh, nothing will nothing change oh. until then. Is it okay? So 
My, my follow-up question is with that, uh, if if nothing will change until February, I'm fine with that. Can we just act like Yachty and Wayno are still ours then? Don't think that's how it works. Okay, nope. well, this sucks. He did say he thinks both will potentially be back, though. <laughs> All right, you know, I'm kind of digging this Kylie fella. <laughs> he said he thinks that about uh, with Wayno. Yeah, both of them. He hey, said for Wayno, Atlanta it. versus St. Louis, and he'd go 65% on St. Louis. Okay. And with Yachty, he doesn't think there's a two-year deal out there for him. Really? So he thinks he'll really? probably be back in St. Louis. There, there will be interest, but he thinks two years, probably the only place he could get that is here. Did you guys so, see Jim Bowden's article today on The Athletic? What did he say? Top 25 free agents oh, in baseball? Yeah. Yachty wasn't even in top 25. Well, obviously, it was an omission, and he done blanked <laughs> he up. forgot. Okay, because you don't leave a Hall of Famer off the list. I think Jim, Jim Bowden would know something Damn. like that. Damn! It ain't Keith Law's list. <laughs> Keith Law hates Yachty. And Rivers. No. Well, I hate you, too? No, Keith Law and I are Friend not. Friend of the show, Keith Law. Not Keith Law's not allowed be, on our show anymore. No, he will not be. Did you guys have a little back and forth? Uh, yeah, Keith Law tried to tell me what it's like to be a rookie breaking into the league. <laughs> did he? Yeah. Did he, did he learn at Harvard? Yeah, I don't know what he did. He read it in a book at Holiday Inn Express. Hey, this might shock you, but Keith doesn't like me either. I said on a oh. pregame show uh, that uh, if you don't think Yachty's a Hall of Famer, you're an idiot. And apparently that got to him somehow. And then he chirped about it. You know what? To hell with it. Damn. He, uh, okay. he will not be back on our show. Mm. We'll, uh, we'll not be returning. <laughs> uh, BT. <laughs> Mine's much better. It's, mm. we'll That's what it is. You'll hear it. Uh, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane, big guy? Election Day. We got uh, we got all kinds of poll coverage. Sounded weird, but uh, you'll P-O-L-L get it later. Or P O L E. That's what like she Trojan. said. L L. I think LL. Yeah, we're gonna do okay. all, all of those types of things, and we got a campaign motto for the Cardinals. You'll hear about it next. That's coming up from two to six for Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at eleven. Forgetting my name is a difficult mm. thing to do. If you missed any of the show today, 101ESPN.com, the 101ESPN app. Fastlane's coming up next. Mmm. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.